Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the borrower with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. The following program is a production of the Barroom Network. It is intended for all audiences. Doug Buffoon. This defense sucks. This is moronic. John Buffoon. Is Bill Lazor a good play caller, or is Nat Nagy such a bad play caller that it makes average look like Bill Walsh? Doug was behind the microphone first. He never held back. Very difficult to score when your offense is on the bench. When your defense is out there giving up 70, 80, 70, 64-yard drives. Now, it's his nephew, John. And there's no holding this buffoon back either. What the Bears are right now is what has been wrong with them for over 30 years. Just aim to be competitive and do your best to be average. And maybe we should just accept that. Because the front office sure as hell did. I don't mind you getting beat. I got my ass whipped many times. But I tell you, I took somebody down with me. The games have been close because the defense, your offense, which you came in to revolutionize, has gotten worse as the years go by. It's Buffone 55, the John Buffone Show. Hello and welcome to the end of the year extravaganza here on Buffone 55. I'm your host, John Buffone, and alongside me is my trusty producer and co-host, Alyssa Barbieri. Alyssa, big news all week surrounding the Chicago Bears. Matt Nagy out, Ryan Pace out, George McCaskey fumbling his way through another press conference, and speculation galore about who is going to lead this franchise into the 2022 season. Are you exhausted yet? I am honestly Monday. I was just like, it, it felt like a roller coaster Monday, like the, the, the joy in the morning. And then he had George McCaskey take center stage and it all went to hell and just keeping up with all the coaching and GM candidates. Like, I mean, it, it is exhausting, but you know, hopefully this, I, I, you know, it's hard for us to be optimistic, but if there's a time to be optimistic, it's during the off season. So I don't know, maybe something good will come of this. Maybe they'll luck their way into something. All we can do is hope, really. I, all I, that's that's all we can do as fans and observers and analysts and all this other prognosticators. All we can do is hope, and maybe the Bears will get it right. But tonight, Alyssa, we are going completely off the rails. We will start like we always do because we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of tradition here on this show. But we got an excellent show to wrap up the season. We are merging and adding so much. I cannot wait to kick it off. But if this happens... To be your first time listening or watching Buffone 55, you picked a hell of an episode to start on. Alyssa, can you give us a rundown on this B55 blowout? Well, tonight we're going off the rails. Okay, <laughs> we're going to start off like we always do with our B55 segment, and that's when I ask John five questions, and his responses must be completed within 55 seconds. The 55 is John's way of paying tribute to the great Doug Buffone. 
his uncle, his mentor, and a man who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. After that, we're going to dig deep into all of the Bears talk with someone that knows the team like the back of his hand. Aaron Lemming, who covers the Bears for CBS Sports, The Bear Report, and Windy City, Windy City Gridiron. After that, we're bringing the Barroom Network's Da Bear Debate to the phone 55. Tyler Gaines Ellis will be here, and he and John will duke it out over five debate questions with Aldo Gandia moderating. When the dust settles there, we'll welcome the host of Da Bear's Previa, Nasli Briones, to the, to the show to get an international view of the Chicago Bears. But wait, there's more. Later on, we'll welcome the host of Draft on Tap, Danny Shimon and Neil Stopchinski, to give us an idea of what the Bears might do in the 2022 draft. Finally, we'll end the show like we always do, by heading down to Buffon's basement, where John Aldo and I will be joined by one of the members of the Barfly Tailgate Show, and we're going to have one last Bears therapy session. So we have a long night ahead of us, John, and plenty to talk about. You ready to get this started? Oh man, I, I'm exhausted already, but you know what? We gotta, we gotta do what we gotta do. Let's do it. <laughs> Buckle up. Here we go. So John, the firing of Matt Nagy didn't surprise most people. However, Ryan Pace's status was much more up in the air. What was your reaction when the news hit that the Bears fired their general manager? 55 seconds are on the clock. Well, I, I honestly didn't think it was going to happen. When the initial report broke about Matt Nagy being fired, I thought, huh, they didn't announce it in tandem, so Ryan Pace must be staying. Because earlier, the news broke about Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman being fired in Minnesota, and that was announced at the same time. So I braced myself, I tried to think of a positive spin, and I figured Ryan Pace would be picking the next head coach with uh, George and Ted. But minutes later, the bomb dropped, and Ryan wasn't promoted. He wasn't reassigned. He wasn't given another year. He was actually fired, and it really took me by surprise. The family diner actually fired someone despite how nice of a guy he was. So I didn't think George had that in him, although his press conference did dedicate an awkward amount of time talking about how he likes Ryan Pace. It kind of sounded like he just found out his best friend was transferring to it for uh, to a new high school. Uh, but nevertheless, I was pleased with the decision. Muted. You're muted, Alyssa. You're, 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 we're off the rails already. <laughs> of course I was muted. Okay. So I couldn't believe not only that I was muted, but that the Bears actually fired Ryan Pace. Because the, like when I woke up and with the Vikings and how they handled it, they you know hired their fire, they fired their GM first and then their head coach. So when I saw the Matt Nagy news, I was like, oh, crap. We're stuck with Ryan Pace. When is this announcement coming? But it was nice to see them actually make the move, McCaskey, because it needed to be done. I mean, you can't, are you, if you look at Matt Nagy, you can't put all of the blame on his shoulders. Kind of like, remember when he fired his coordinators back in 20, after that 2019 yeah. season, you can't put the blame all on one person or, you know, those people when they both, you know, contributed to the downfall of this team. So, I mean, it was something that uh, it had to happen. And I was a little, I'm not going to lie. I was a little shocked that it actually did. And, you know, it, it's exactly what needed to happen. And we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens now during this coaching and GM search. Cause I don't know. Could things could we be worse off without them? Like after watching McCaskey, I was like, I don't know. Yeah, and honestly, I I'm relieved that it happened because I'm a big proponent of 
having the GM and the head coach line up because I didn't want the new head coach to come in and all of a sudden Justin Fields is taking the next step and he looks great, but the team still isn't constructed well enough to compete in the playoffs. And so you're going to maybe fire Ryan Pace and keep the new head coach and then hamstring a new GM by saying, hey, that's your head coach. So I didn't like that they were maybe going to stagger that like that. So the fact that they're going to have a new GM and a new head coach to really usher in a new era, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a big supporter of that. Yeah, and that was probably one of the only good things that George McCaskey did because, like you said, the Bears seemingly gained a lot of goodwill after Pace and Maggie were both fired. However, when George McCaskey, you know, stepped up there, he siphoned most of that goodwill away uh, after his press conference on Monday. So, John, I'm curious, what did you make of the chairman's press conference? The clock starts now. It, it was a PR nightmare uh, from starting off with chastising the fans to not disclosing whether the new GM needs to be on board with Justin Field to the Olin Krut stuff to openly admitting that he is just a fan, but asking all other Chicago Bears fans to trust his business model. All that goodwill, like you said, they gained by firing Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy was vaporized and burned up in the atmosphere. Then throw in the fact that George had to go out of his way to defend Ted Phillips while he kind of just idly stood by and listened to the Chicago media rip him. Uh, it was basically the same song and dance we heard before Pace and Nagy came to Chicago, and it was even similar to last year when they decided to retain that dynamic duo. He really does have a way of saying the exact wrong thing at the uh, exact wrong time, and we can't even give him the benefit of the doubt because we have nothing positive in history to fall back on. You know, after that press conference last year, like, and remember, that was just, just terrible. It was a disaster, and I really didn't think, it. you know, this year would be worse or even on the same level but i think we can agree it was at least on the same level as last year it was just a complete disaster like you said the way that he started off by you know you know taking jeff dirkerson's grieving son and then using that to transition into matt nagy and then how people were booing him like that was just from the start i was like oh gosh this is a disaster it's just gonna be just terrible and like you said like he, he got up there and he just didn't know what he was doing and this is the guy that is you know gonna pick our new gm and head coach and he's the one running this football team and it's just I mean we knew because we've talked about it a lot on the show that you know while Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are part of the problem I think the bigger problem we could agree is ownership in the front office so I mean it was just it was it's like I did a whole embarrassing moments article on Bears Wire because I just like this is too there's too much going on it wasn't just mm -hmm. like one or two or three it was I did like 10 or 11, but there was way more than that. Oh, like yeah. it was you to, I'm sure ridiculous. you had to whittle it down. <laughs> I had to whittle it. It, it was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and it, I just, because like on Monday morning, you know, you after they fire Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, you're like, oh my goodness. It was like, we were optimistic for like half a morning. And then George McCaskey yeah, came and just an ripped that away. And that was just <laughs> the worst part, I think. It's like he wanted to take all the hope that Bears fans were feeling, which wasn't a lot. And he just took it from us. Yeah, it was like uh, it was really, really bad last year. Uh, and it, but it was bad for it was just bad in a different way this year, I guess. I guess it was just it was still bad. It's just like a new way of being bad. And it's just, you just kind of wonder, like, you know that you have the, the fans on your side, at least for the day, because you made the change that everybody wanted to see. And you still found a way to just completely, you know, T-bone it. And I, I just don't, I don't know how he does it. It's, it's actually pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, he keeps one-upping himself. So, I mean, I hope it went well. Uh, we'll see what happens after this year. But, I mean, I don't know. How could yeah. it get worse? 
next year, but I feel like, you know, George will find a way. He'll find a way. He'll find a way. And speaking of that press conference, one of those embarrassing moments uh, where things got a little bit awkward was when George McCaskey was asked about a story that former Bears center Olin Krutz had told recently about being approached to be an offensive line assistant for $15 an hour. And McCaskey said he has learned to take everything that Olin says, quote, with a grain of salt. What are your thoughts on how McCaskey handled that exchange? You have 55 seconds. See, this almost seemed predetermined to me. Like George thought about what he was going to say if he was asked this question, and this is what he decided to go with. The reason I say this is because he was so tight-lipped about everything else. He was abs- he absolutely would not say a word about if the new GM had to have Justin Fields in his future plans, even though it's quite obvious that the new GM and head coach should be on board with Justin Fields. George would not address it at all. But when asked about Olin Krutz's story, that's when George decides to go maverick and clap back so here's the thing perception is everything even if the story was false or fake or whatever taking a public shot at a beloved former bear while you the chairman of the chicago bears aren't exactly the most popular guy in the room is a bad look you could have easily given one of your stale non-answers like owen was a great player for this franchise and i have the utmost respect for him and the passion he still has for the bears today uh is that a lame answer Yeah, but is it going to get you roasted by Olin for the next two weeks? Probably not. All he had to do was say, I'm not going to talk about that. You know, I don't, you know, we'll talk about it off camera or, you know, whatnot. Just kind of dismiss it. And like you said, he took a targeted shot at Olin. And that's not a way you're not helping relationships between former players and the Bears front office, which we know the things have been between some former players, especially in the media with the Bears. I mean, that. Things are, you know, a little tense. So, I mean, that's not going to help matters. I mean, he already looks like a bumbling buffoon, obviously, talking about George Bukowski. And then he just, like, took a shot like that. I was, like, shocked. That was one of those, like, mouth drop yeah. moments. And I was like, did he actually say that? Like, of all of the things that he said, I mean, because it was there was a lot, like I said, a lot of embarrassing moments. But that was just downright just, like, cruel. And, like, how dare you basically call Owen Cruz a liar and then obviously he, so he kind of deserves what Olin, Olin coming after him, just saying. I mean, George McCaskey deserves a lot of criticism, but he definitely earned that one too. There needs to be a media prep team and there needs to be someone that isn't afraid to say no to George McCaskey to say, hey, you can't say this because you know what's going to happen if you do. But that, uh, that apparently in the last two years, they have not learned their lesson in that. So that we'll, we'll just continue to watch. We'll just continue to watch that dumpster fire. Yeah, like you said, the media prep. I mean, like the opening, he was reading it on a piece of paper. And he's like, who okayed that? Who thought that was a good intro? It's just a lot of questions. I mean, there's a lot wrong with the Bears. And, you know, that's uh, even the media relationship, you know. It's just a mess. Uh, So, John, so as soon as the news broke that Matt Nagy wouldn't be returning, the rumor mill started spinning and names were being tossed into the ring as to who would be the head coach of the Bears in 2022. So, John, now is your turn. Is there a name or a type of coach that you'd like to see the Bears zero in on in the coming weeks? The clock starts when you do. Look, uh, I've been saying all along the most important attribute the new coach needs to have is to be a good leader of men. They don't need a buddy that's going to make it fun to play football. They don't need a guru or a revolutionary to change the way we think about offense. They need a guy that can command the room, a guy that when he speaks – 
people listen, a genuine leader that understands what it takes to be a head coach. And I don't think it necessarily has to be an offensive guy. I always use Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick and Mike Brabel as examples. When they talk, their players and everyone else take notice. And quite frankly, I think they need someone who's a little abrasive at times to break up the fun, happy culture that doesn't hold anyone accountable. That's why I was warming up to the idea of Jim Harbaugh, but I feel like he's leveraging this whole thing into a massive contract with Michigan, so it's not going to work out there. But they need to get someone who won't fit in nicely to this family diner model that the Chicago Bears have been installing for the last century. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we saw Matt Nagy, right? He was this, you know, happy, fun guy, you know, like, and he wasn't really overly strict. And I mean, that's what the Bears need, I think, at this point. And we've talked a lot about this. And, you know, in terms of what kind of head coach do they need, I don't, you know, whether it's offensive, defensive, whatever, you know, get, like you said, that leader in the locker room and someone that's going to be able to hire the right coaches and put his players in a position to succeed, which is something that the Bears haven't had for a while. I mean, one of the the few good things that George McCaskey said during that this just disaster of a press conference was that, you know, they weren't going to just, they were going to exhaust, you know, their, their search. They weren't just going to focus on an offensive guru or a defensive guy. And even before there were reports that they were going to look for a leader of men type. So, I mean, that's exactly what they need to do. Do I trust them to make the right choice? And that's a completely different question. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I'm never going to trust them. Uh, it's, and and quite frankly, I think George. I think George said this as well. He's not going to earn the trust. He's not going to get uh, lauded by the fans today, tomorrow, or even within the next month or so, even after the hires, because Bears fans are past that point. They need. We need results to actually to you know be gracious. We need results to say that was the right decision. There's. A, you're not going to. You're not going to gain back the fans by just making one or two moves there needs to be results at some point. And uh, I think that that's the, that's what the new regime has to mandate so tangible goals that you can actually see a finish line and get there rather than just saying a subjective term like progress or improvement where that could literally be anything. So uh, I, I think that's going to be a big hurdle to overcome. I mean, John, you and I, during our time being Bears fans, you know, we haven't seen that yet. So I hope that the, that there is change coming, Never. but again, it's really hard to, to have any kind of faith in this organization right now. But mm. um, we're going to finish on this. This is, It's difficult to be overly hopeful if you're a Bears fan, you know, regardless of what happens in the short term with the GM and the head coach hirings. So, John, put on your ambassador hat and speak on behalf of Bears fans to put a bow on the 2021 season. We're shutting off the clock for this one. The floor is yours. Well, another season has come and gone. Unfortunately, the fear we had after the 2020 season came to fruition in 2021. We were afraid this would be a lame duck year for the head coach and general manager, and that's exactly what happened. But look, all we can do is hope. All we can do is hope that somehow this Bill Polian GM expedition works out. All we can do is hope that the next coaching staff can get Justin Fields to the next level. All we can do is hope that this team isn't in as much trouble as it appears. Most of us know this team does not have it in its DNA to be sustainable, to have sustainable success. But I love this team. And I know everyone watching and listening loves this team. So while we may be pessimistic and cynical, every one of us still has hope that the stars will align at some point. And if that ever does happen, you'll be glad you stuck around. Speaking of sticking around, 
Don't go anywhere. We have a lot more Buffon 55 right after this. On the next Crosstown Crosstalk, White Sox pitcher Liam Hendricks. You'll only find it here on the Barroom Network. Welcome back to Buffone 55. Now it's time to jump into some serious Bears talk. So I'm going to kick it back over to John to bring out our guest. John, take it away. Thank you, Alyssa. Here to help us peel back the curtain on the Bears a little bit is Aaron Lemmy, who covers the Bears for CBS Sports Bear Report and Windy City Gridiron. Aaron, how are you doing? Appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. I think this, I think this is the first time, right? I feel, yes, like, this is. I feel your- like I'm losing my mind, too, so I, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Maiden voyage here on Buffone 55. We're excited to have you on here. Uh, and is what a what a fun time to be on the show because there's so much going on. And I guess I'm gonna start with the obvious, uh, because the Bears fired not only Matt Nagy, but they decided to move on from Ryan Pace as well, which for some people was a bit uh surprising considering um the way things were trending. So what do you think ultimately went into that decision to part with not just Matt Nagy but Ryan Pace as well? Well, I think what it came down to was just, I mean, the, the results speak for themselves, don't they? I mean, it's one of those situations where y- you look at, you know, there's seven seven seasons, two playoff appearances, no playoff wins, one winning season, you know, and I think that's just really what it comes down to. I think everybody knew Matt Nagy was going to go. I think the bigger question, though, was, you know, obviously Ryan Pace. And as we saw with Ryan Pace, it you know, even the relationship with the McCaskey family couldn't save him. And... I think it's the right move, regardless if, you know, if you find somebody better, whatever it is, you're setting a precedence that simply put, you're you're not okay with mediocrity. And I think that's something that you had to fear a little bit with the McCaskies, right, is, you know, they had so many bad seasons, right? They, they finally get Ryan Pace in here. They get the rebuild done. They go 12-4, and four, you know, 8-8 eight and eight back-to-back seasons. You know, they back into the playoffs this last year and probably, what, eight, nine years ago, we, w- we probably would have been ecstatic for them to be in the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. But, you know, being locked in mediocrity the way that they have been is almost worse than at least, you know, knowing you're bad and being able to rebuild and have some goal in mind to be able to get back to being good. You know, and looking back, you know, at the Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy eras, you know, if you if like looking back at it, what do you think that each of their legacies will be in Chicago? When we look back years from now, what will we remember about both of them? Well, I think with Ryan Pace, I mean, there was a lot of optimism. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the hire right out of the gate, but what I will say is, I think as he, as he kind of progressed, I mean, the idea in the the ideas in the overall vision that he had in terms of rebuilding, I thought was really good. I mean, again, this is a team that when he took it over, I think a lot of people forget just how bad it was under Mark Trestman. And Phil Emery. I mean, this thing was a mess. It was an absolute mess. He comes in, you know, they get John Fox hired. I know a lot of people don't like John Fox, 
But John Fox was a big culture stabilizer for this team. That was one of the big ways that they were able to establish what they established in 2018, right? Um, so I think that a lot of people are going to kind of, at least in my opinion, this is this is how I feel about Ryan Pace, is they're going to tie a lot of hope that just simply didn't last. I think he did a really good job of rebuilding the team. I think the issue was maintaining the talent and getting to that next level. And I think a lot of it came down to a lot of gambles that he took that simply didn't work out. Obviously, you bank on Trubisky being the guy. You go into 2018 saying, okay, we have our quarterback. We have everything else under control. You go out and trade for a guy like Khalil Mack. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at a situation where a year later, you're realizing Trubisky's not the guy. What do we do now? As far as Matt Nagy goes, I – I, I think it's almost kind of a disappointment, right? You know, you, you get this guy that Matt Nagy, or sorry, that Andy Reid lauds as his best ever, you know, offensive coordinator that he's ever had, and all these high expectations. The, you know, the 12 and 4 season, everybody's thinking, okay, they finally figured it out. They finally got the right guys in the building. And it was just a steady decline ever since. And, you know, again, Matt Nagy was a very frustrating coach, especially towards the end. But I think that, at least for me, you know, it, it was one thing, you know, some of the, the the different head coaches and different personalities the Bears have had over the years. I think that the one thing you can say is that Matt Nagy truly was a good guy. You know, he's as he a person. I think his biggest issue was that, you know, he had I think he had a little bit of an unchecked ego. But I think the biggest thing was is he saw the positives and everything, which I don't think left him overly objective to the rest of everything that was that was going on and the finding out the whys and everything else that we constantly heard. So I, I think overall, I, I think we're going to remember this as somewhat of a disappointment. I do think that the overall memory of Nagy is going to be much more negative than the overall memory of Ryan Pace. And I think it's somewhat unfortunate. I get why, but I think it is somewhat unfortunate just because things really just didn't unfold the way that, that everybody expected them to. Uh, much like we talked about in the last segment, it seemed like all of the goodwill that uh, the McCaskey family built up in that, what, hour or so between firing <laughs> Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy was just gone after his press conference. Now, we could probably do an entire segment on just the press conference itself, but looking at it holistically, what was your takeaway from that? Because I didn't think I could be any more irritated than I was from last year's press conference, but then they're really trying to do a good follow-up act where the sequel is just nearly as good as the original. What was your, uh, what was your takeaway from that presser? Oh my God. I just, how do you, how, how do you, it's like, how do you take such a good, well, I say a good moment, a good moment for Bears fans. Obviously people lost their jobs. I think we should probably keep that in mind too, but a good moment for Bears fans. How do you take that away it was like from the very beginning, too. It's like he comes out, he talks about Jeff Dickerson, he talks about Parker Dickerson. It's like, all right, this is off to a good start. And then that weird segue right into the stuff with Matt Nagy's son's football game. And it, it, I, and again, I, I didn't support any of that. But at the same time, that's a really weird segue. Like, why are you mentioning both of those in the same breath? And then it was just the, the smug attitude of George right out of the gate, the constant reminders to fans that he doesn't really know football and he's just a football fan. It's like, is that supposed to make anybody feel better? Because it doesn't. <laughs> you're, you're talking about leading. You're talking about the new general manager and the new head coach reporting to you, but you're saying that you don't know football and you're just a fan. It's like, it, there's just, I, I, you know, it sounds kind of messed up, but I, I think my biggest thought process throughout that entire press conference was, how is it that nobody in the McCaskey family has learned football after all this time? How is it that the Bears don't somehow have at least somebody within their organization? I mean, you look at, I mean, just to kind of give you an idea, you look at some of these GM candidates, right? You got a guy in uh, Quesi, uh, Quesi Adolfo, and I'm drawing a blank on his last name right now, uh, the, the guy from the Browns. He was a Wall Street business guy. He, he graduated from Princeton 
and he didn't know that much about football. He's a football fan. He comes in and he starts learning the business of football. And then you have the McCaskey family who have run this organization for God knows how long. And you're telling me that none of these guys know football. I, I think, I think the overall press conference itself was bad. What I will say is the things preceding that since have been a lot better in terms of, especially their GM candidates. I think they put a fantastic GM candidate list together so far. And I think the, you know, Bill Polian is 79 years old. I wish he would have spoke. I, I, I would have much rather have heard him speak than a, a guy like, uh, you know, a guy like Ted Phillips. But I do think they are on the right path, at least as of now in terms of the process. Yeah, and that kind of led me to my next question. You know, do you have any confidence in that search team of McCaskey, Phillips, and Polian and their ability to get it right at GM and head coach? Because like you said, they have, you know, that, that GM list especially – those candidates, it's, it's really encouraging, but do you have confidence that ultimately they're going to pick the right guys? I want to, <laughs> I really do. <laughs> but I mean, how many times have we been through this? It's like, I, I just, I fast forward, fast forward, I rewind back over the last 10 years. Like how many times have we sat here and had faith that they were going to make the right decisions and they didn't. And so obviously the process is a little bit different this time around. Originally I thought, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, they brought in Bill Polian, you know, replaced Bill Polian with Ernie Accorsi seven years ago and you got the same situation, right? So we're going to have to see. I don't know. I, I'm very optimistic of the GM list. I don't know as far as the head coaching stuff. I, I'm i not overly high on a lot of the, the, the head coaching candidates, I'll be honest, and that's just a personal preference. I know everybody's a little bit different, so I won't speak too much on that. And again, I mean, with general manager candidates outside of the guys who've already done it, which is pretty much Rick Smith and Jeff Ireland at this point, you don't really know what you're getting. It's kind of a mixed bag. And obviously, you know, you're just going to have to see. So I won't pretend to be able to predict the future. Uh, you know, really, all I can all I can say is what I've read and what I've heard from different people. And, you know, there are a, a lot of good candidates out there that the Bears have at least interviewed. And now it looks like Minnesota is taking the Bears list of the guys that they have uh, that they have lined up for interviews and doing the same thing. But. I, I like the list so far. I'm going to be cautiously optimistic with the thought in the back of my head that the Bears screw this up every single time. So I've always kind of thought going into this process, as, as cynical as it sounds, the Bears are going to have to get lucky, right? They're going to have to get lucky. I think if they make the right general manager hire, everything else falls into place. If they can get the right football mind at the top, you know, the president of football ops, you know, with the, with the GM is basically what, uh, what George McCassie is calling him. You get that right, I think everything else falls into place. Uh, just – Going back to what you said earlier about how's how's George never had to learn football? Why hasn't he learned football? When you're gifted a franchise that you can put on autopilot and make millions of dollars every year, maybe you're not. Maybe you are not uh, inspired to learn football because you don't have to. You don't have to do the things that George Hallis did. You can just say, "I have the team now." Whatever happens, happens. Like we could go zero and seventeen, and I'll still make millions upon millions of dollars this year. So uh, I, I think whenever you have some of these legacies that are in the football business, who were I don't want to say gifted the team, but it was passed down. You're maybe not as uh, into it as as the predecessor was, and so you you see that watered down version. But I digress. Uh, there was a lot of talk about uh, the GM and the head coach. And which one's going to go first? And it sounded like it sounded like uh, George didn't completely slam the door on potentially hiring a head coach before a GM. Uh, do you think that matters at all? And if do you feel like they should get the GM first to have his uh, sign off on the head coach? I do. I, I, I'm I'm a big process guy in general. It doesn't really matter whether it's football, whether it's anything. I'm a big process guy, and I've always been. Especially, I mean, again, going back to what George said in his press conference. 
the general manager is going to be the president of football operations. He is going to be the guy that runs all the football operations, and he's going to be the one you know, reporting directly to George, who is his boss and basically the final say or everything. So if that's the case, it, it, it would be like anything. I mean, you can kind of relate it to almost anything. Why would you hire your employees before you get the boss in play? It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So, yeah, I think – I think you got to go with a process and that's why I've, I've been a little cautious in terms of viewing these head coaching candidates that they have coming in and they're doing interviews because I mean, if you look at the list, there's 18 guys in total, there's nine general managers, nine head coaches. I mean, if you start doing the math on that, if you're really talking about real interviews between four and six hours, it's going to take them to the Super Bowl to be able to get all these done and then be able to finally make a decision. So you'd have to assume Right now, they're probably going in the direction of we're going to go an hour or two with these guys, get a good feeling, figure out exactly where we're at. You can make notes on all the head coaching candidates. If the GM is brought in and he's got another guy or two he wants to interview, great. But you have a short list there. But obviously, I think that the GM is the big one. you got to get the GM knocked down. You know, it's it, uh, the, the Giants are finally in a position where they're ready to hire a general manager. Minnesota is finally starting to also, you know, get their general manager candidates in in terms of who they want to interview. They're in the same exact boat as the Bears right now. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars are another team that could end up looking for a general manager, depending on what they do with Trent Baalke. Time is of the essence, especially when you're talking about having to knock out two of these, because especially with the way everything's going to weigh uh, in terms of, you know, the head coaching hires and, and, and the interview process as a whole with the playoffs. I mean, we've seen it, you know, we, we it, it's all timing based, depending on who loses and the interview windows and everything like that. So you want to be able to have your general manager figured out have him with his list of candidates because they're already going to have an idea of who they want. That's going to be a part of the, you know, the overall interview process. But yeah, I, without a doubt, 100% in my mind, and I know some people agree they have good arguments for it. I think you absolutely have to get the general manager figured out, especially if he's going to be the boss and he's the one running the football operations side of things. You know, and you mentioned, you know, the GM and the head coach candidates, how you were more confident on the GM side of things than a head coach. But I'm just curious of those that have that are currently uh, confirmed to be interviewing or requesting to interview for the GM and the head coach job. Who are some of your favorites? And are there any others out there that the Bears have yet to reach out to that you'd like to see them? So as far as a general manager list, I mean, man, they've done. Really, I mean, I don't even want to sound like crazy optimistic, but they have really done a, a good job. I mean, even Omar Khan today, that was another name that it's like you have to have at the top of your list. And that's that's what I love about the balance of the general manager candidates, because it's not just pro personnel guys. It's not just pro scouting or the sorry, the, uh, you know, the college scouting side of things. Like you're talking about numbers, guys. I mean, between Omar Khan and between uh, one of the one of the Browns candidates that they brought in. You have a good mix. Plus, you have Rick Smith, who's been a general manager before. You also have the same thing in Jeff Ireland as well. Uh, there's just a good mix. So in terms of the overall general manager candidates, Ed Dodds is my number one. I mean, he's he's my absolute favorite. Um, you know, there, there's definitely a few names, and it's funny because I don't have them in front of me, and now I start blanking on them. Uh, what I will say is – there, and I, I, I tweeted this out. If anybody reads my Twitter, I'm sure you could probably go back and look. I have kind of a list, you know, from one to one to eight in terms of who I like there. From the head coaching side – that's why I'm a little bit more, I don't know yet, because I, I look at it and I say, okay, you know, the Bears have had a tendency, and I'm sure everybody's noticed this, they have a tendency to go with what is weakest, right? So if you look at, if you go back to after Levy Smith, you know, the, the offense had been so bad and they needed to figure out a way to get the offense going because the defense was there. 
they, you know, they bring in Mark Trestman, everything blows up. They're like, okay, we need leadership. We need to go back to the defense side of the ball because the defense is awful. They hire John Fox. John Fox is in there for three years. They can't get the offense going all of a sudden. Oh, my God, we have to have that offensive mind for our young quarterback. Let's go get the hot name on the market. And that was Matt Nagy. None of them have worked out. So I think really what this is going to come down to in a, at least in my opinion, a little bit of a weaker, at least in names, in terms of names, obviously, you know, these guys can pan out. Um, but in terms of overall names, I'm not overly impressed by any of these guys. And it's not because they don't have good resumes. It's because I think you can kind of pick apart any single one of them. I mean, you got some of the retreads, Todd Bowles, that could make some sense. Leslie Frazier's the one that I will continue to say I don't I don't understand it. Outside of him being with the 85 Bears, I mean, that's great. But if you look at his overall resume – in terms of what he's done when he stepped into an organization um, versus when he leaves, the numbers really aren't that much different. Um, Dennis Allen's another one. I'm a little surprised that they haven't interviewed yet, but I think you look at some of the offensive minds right now. I think obviously, uh, you know, Brian Dable's one that I think a lot of people really like. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett's another one that I think could be interesting. You got the Aaron Rodgers factor there, but there's always a, you know, a but about it, right? Even with a guy like Byron Leftwich, it's like, you know, how much is it Byron Leftwich versus how much is it Tom Brady and how much of the influence of Byron Leftwich being an offensive mind in Bruce Arians' offense, you know, going back to even Arizona, how big of a factor has he played in this all? So, again, I don't think it's the candidates are bad by any means. I just think that there's a lot more questions. And, you know, as Bears fans, as, as people who watch this team so regularly and seen all the failures – there's always going to be that side of you is saying, well, you know, they tried, you know, they tried hiring the hot offensive mind with Matt Nagy and, you know, you thought that would have worked out and it didn't. So, you know, what is a real good head coaching candidate? So that's going to be more interesting. I really want to see him interview Josh McDaniels. I know that that's a little controversial just because of what happened, you know, in this time in Denver and then obviously with Indianapolis saying, I think he's a perfect fit for Justin Fields. I also think that he's proved that he can bring in good coordinators. Matt Eberflus was a guy that nobody knew about. A lot of guys are like, well, who is that guy? He comes in, obviously, he keeps a job with the Colts even after Josh McDaniels bails, and he's one of the best defense coordinators in the league. He's also one of the head coaching candidates that the Bears are going to interview, and he's another very interesting name. So that's kind of my overall thoughts. I'm, I'm kind of hoping the name pops. I don't think that, that Jim Harbaugh is going to be the thing. Ryan Day, to me, doesn't make a ton of sense. He's a three-year head coach at Ohio State. He's got a great opportunity there. He can basically be there until he dies as long as he continues to win. And at this point, when, you, you know, when you're top five in recruiting every year, why would you go anywhere? Why would you leave that job to come to a, a team like the Bears, even with Justin Fields? There's just a lot more risk involved. Uh, final question for you before we get you out of here. There's a great list of candidates and there's some interesting names on there, but ultimately – those people have to want to come to Chicago. So I guess my question would be compared to some of the other openings where there could be GM openings or head coach openings, where do you rank the bears uh, job as being high on the list as far as attractiveness for uh, prospective employees? Well, I think the big thing here to remember, and this is, this is not a homerism take. I mean, this is just fact. The bears are a charter franchise. Chicago is one of the greatest cities in not only the United States, but in the entire world. Like it is a fantastic football town. It's a fantastic sports town. So the bears are always going to have an allure that not a lot of other franchises have. Right. And that's always going to put them at the top of the list. And then, you know, I think a lot of it's going to come down to how do you evaluate Justin Fields? Because this, this roster doesn't have a great core in my opinion, especially a young core, 
but they have some stuff to work with. But, you know, really what it's going to come down to, you look at some of these other openings, you, the Giants, I mean, the Giants do have some pull as well because they are the New York Giants. But look at that roster. Look at look at their overall history in the past six or seven years in terms of what they've done. There is absolutely zero stability there. Let's just say the Jacksonville Jaguars job's open. So you're going to fire both guys that you just brought in after one year. I mean, that's not that's not a good look. And then Minnesota's another one where again, it's all about where you evaluate their roster. I mean, the roster is in a very similar situation to the Bears. The only difference is is they got Kirk Cousins for one more year and Aldo and I actually talked about this earlier where a lot of it's going to come down to he's got one year left on his deal, but it's a big cap hit. So you kind of have to take that, that that first year in 2022 and really figure out, is that worth going through to be able to get to the next year? What are the expectations there? Long story short, I think as long as you see Justin Fields is that top quarterback that a lot of us see or that could be the top quarterback, the, the young guy, the, the promise of the franchise. And I think it is absolutely towards the top of the list in both the GM and the head coaching. Obviously with the head coach, you got what seven openings right now could be eight, depending on what happens with David Coley and and in Houston. But I think that they're probably the top. I would say the top general manager candidate, at least in my opinion. And I think head coach would probably be, I'd say, top two or three at this point. Because again, I mean, anytime you're Chicago Bears, you're always going to have that pull. I think as long as you give the proper power and the proper, um, really, just you know, the the right to be able to do what you want especially with a general manager spot, you give them that president of football office that they already said that they're going to do, great. You give them all the power in the world, and they're reporting straight to the to the owner of the team or the chairman or whatever whatever you want to call him. He's a McCaskey. He's an owner, whatever it is. Then there you go. I mean, that's all you can really ask for as a GM. So I, I think that they're going to have no issue polling candidates. As we've seen, though, the issue is going to be, are they going to make the right decision? The Bears have never had issues pulling people in. It's 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 the choices that they made. They had Bruce Arians over uh, Mark Tressman that they could have gone to in, you know, in 2012. So I it's all it's all on Bill Polian. It's all on George McCaskey. I'm not even going to mention Ted Phillips because he doesn't belong in the interview room at this point. But it's all in the making the right decision. They're going to have every avenue at their disposal. All right, man. It's going to be a fun process to follow. I hope everyone's following along with you for this. You got some great stuff. Uh, Before we cut you loose, uh, give our listeners and viewers an idea of how they can follow you on social media. Uh, And then there's a follow-up question in the chat room if anyone has declined an interview with the Bears. But uh, (laughs) but, and uh, if you want to, if you know anything about that, feel free. But uh, before we get you out of here, how can people read your stuff and interact with you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Aaron Lemming NFL. Um, and you can read my work on thebearreport.com and then also uh, Windy City Gridiron as well. And then as far as the uh, as far as the the, the declined interviews, I, I usually, you know, I, I don't know anything, but what I will say is usually if there's going to be a declined interview, that is usually kind of presented as they say, well, the Bears have requested so-and-so, but they've declined that. I don't think you're going to see any any declines at this point. I mean, again, this is going to be a very preliminary process right out of the gate. You're talking one or two hours until they weed down. So I don't think we're going to we're going to see that issue. I think Dan Campbell was a little bit different. Um, no, not sorry, Dan Quinn was a little bit different, but no, I don't I don't think that we're going to see any declines. It's just going to be a matter of how meaningful these interviews are and then them paring down the process. Excellent stuff, Aaron Lemming. Thank you so much for being on Buffone 55. We hope to have you back on when all this stuff gets sorted out. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. Anytime you want me, you got me. Appreciate it. We'll be back with more Buffone 55 right after this.
everybody. Aldo Gandia here. And I got to tell you, several months ago, John Buffon came up to me and said, I got an idea for a new show. Uh, I want to call it the bear debate. And I want to debate somebody and just have an intense, high powered discussion about all of the bears issues that are going on. And I go, I love that idea. Green lighted. Who do you want to have on? And he said, of course, this gentleman. <laughs> Tyler, how are you, brother? <laughs> What's going on, family? Gaines <laughs> is here. And I'm ready for this. <laughs> and he's representing the Chicago Bulls, uh, a team that John Buffon has just inherited. Ad just ad mm -hmm. adopted, right? <laughs> yep. I'm part of Bulls Nation now. See, Red, I'm all in. I, I, I gave up my free agency at the beginning of the season. I said I had my two hats in front of me. I live... Actually, I had three hats in front of me. I was like, well, I live close to Philadelphia. I live closer to D.C., but, man, I got a lot of Bulls fans, friends that I wouldn't want to disappoint either. So I picked up that red hat, and I said, I'm giving my allegiance to the Chicago Bulls, and they have not disappointed me, I can tell you that. And they got a big one tonight, right, Tyler, against the uh, the Nets yes. on national TV on the sure ESPN. Do, sure do. Took care of the, um, the, the Nets. Hello, I don't say hello to everybody. Like, that's Alyssa right there. Can I get your autograph? Yeah. Like, get with this Real quick, like, Bears Wire. Only if I get yours. You have phenomenal articles, sis. I read your stuff on Bears Thank Wire. You. Truly dope. Like, you're on it. Like, I don't know how much you, you be. You multitask very well because, and, and so, I used John. I had that down. <laughs> <laughs> she was at a computer 19 hours the other day. 19 hours. Oh, man. Too much. I mean, Too much. Money. We're, we're glad to have you on here, Gaines. This is your Buffone 55 debut, is it not? I mean, I made it. Like, I've been good. I've been trying to be good. I've been good all year long. And I'm like, one day, one day. We called you up. We called you up. <laughs> This no, man, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege. Like, this show has been dope for, for many seasons. And it's just like, oh, no, John, you, you killed it, bro. I was backstage like, tag me in, bro, like you charging me up. Because I was like, bro, give it to him, John. And Aaron was phenomenal. I'm a fan of Aaron as, Aaron's as well. And that, that was truly great stuff. And um, it's exciting times. All right. Well, let's get started with the bear debate. For those of you who may have missed the show, it's a very simple concept. I ask a question and then Tyler or Ellis starts off with a 30 second response. And then the other debater jumps in and provides the 30 second response. And then all of us talk about it afterwards. And this will be Alyssa Barbieri's so-called first entry into the bear debate. She will enter in the uh, after debate uh, discourse as well. So this should be a lot of fun. So why don't we go to round one? We're gonna have five today as opposed to the natural 10. Round one starts now. In the world of business, it is said that perception matters more than reality. As we know, on Monday, Bears chairman George McCaskey appeared in a Zoom conference call to discuss the firings of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy and answer questions from a media that was understandably adversarial. This is what McCaskey looked and sounded like. Over four seasons, we beat the teams we were expected to beat. Too often, though, we didn't beat the better teams. And you have to do that to excel in this league. Ted Phillips, although not properly introduced, was there too. Could the Bears have done anything to improve the optics of this very important news conference? Tyler, start us off. 
Um, honestly, yes. Although I, I feel I feel like they actually rushed their press conference. Um, one of my thoughts early on was they actually made a big splash. I don't, I, in my personal opinion, I don't feel like they had to do a press conference because they kind of did something good and then left a bad taste in our mouth. They could have just been quiet for a couple of days and got a lot of publicity and just let us think because when they started talking about their ideas, it kind of made me nervous. And so hindsight's twenty twenty. Ted Phillips shouldn't have been there. He wasn't really welcomed in my opinion. But um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. They could have done anything to improve the optics, Tyler. I won't list everything I did in the first segment, but it seemed like George's ace up his sleeve was name-dropping Bill Polian and his book about 50 times. I don't know if the Bears are selling ads within their press conferences now, but this whole thing sounded like an infomercial for Bill Polian. Regardless of your thoughts about bringing him into the process, it basically sounded like George was saying, look, I know you're mad that Ted and I are part of this process, but wait, there's more. Look, Bill Polian's here. <laughs> That's supposed to be a selling point. <laughs> exactly. Just ridiculous. It's just like, I feel like we've time traveled back to 2015 and it's just going to be the same, you know, obviously substitute yeah. uh, Polian in for a course. And it's just, I mean, like, like Tyler was saying, I mean, it was just, you know, just like don't have the press conference on Monday. Like let Bears fans enjoy it for an entire day because like that morning was really fun. Like I mm. like it was enjoyable. I mean, obviously when you realize who ownership is, it's hard to get too optimistic. But I mean, it was a nice morning. You know, the birds were chirping a little bit and like it was that false <laughs> sense of hope and security, you know, yeah. would be gone. And then George McCaskey opened his mouth and never closed it for an hour. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, you know, Everything was clouded by the announcement of Bill Polian uh, being a part of that search team. And it would have been much, much more uh, visually convincing if they were to put up an image of the five people involved in the search. And notice how Ted Phillips is way in the background over there. Yeah. <laughs> he should be a lot smaller than that. <laughs> yeah, it's so like hanging somewhere in the back, not right. hanging up with a noose, but hanging he around. He should have been the Where's Waldo image on this. Like, see if you can find Ted Phillips. And his face is somewhere in the back of those trees past the lake. And you're like, oh, there he is. Good. Right. But they should have they should have introduced everyone that's in the part of the search and show images of them and maybe even have them there to answer a question and to let fans know what their role was going to be in the search committee, particularly the two people of color here, so that they weren't seen as token people and the search committee this should have really been the five people at a panel uh, a, a long table with five microphones and it should have been produced to really give people confidence and but instead we got george all by himself we got ted looking clueless as to what was going on it was not a pretty sight and uh and, and I think that's a big reason why a lot of fans are, are just not confident of that. They should have improved the optics of the whole thing. I agree. I mean, as you guys see in our head coach, PR isn't really our, our strong suit. <laughs> so when in doubt, we'll send out our special teams coach to come talk to you. Tell first. me. Yep. So it, it, it's just like, like I said, you shouldn't have had the conference because it, because it's like it wasn't done correctly. It was rushed. And therefore, you, you didn't present us in a united front. And it made us look more weak. We yeah. were excited about potential growth, but then you, when you talk, you're like, "Dang, there's more. There's more cracks in the armor than we think." I'm just hoping. I like we said. I hope we get the right coach. You get the right coach, it don't matter. You get the right coach, and it, and it doesn't freaking matter. So we're praying for a miracle. But Jesus, 
when people yep. started bidding, but they don't know what they're doing and they're making millions of dollars. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, Tyler maybe is totally we'll right. Luck into it. We'll luck into it, maybe. Luck into it. Yep. Maybe. All right, let's head over to round number two. Sunday, after the Bears lost to the Vikings in their season finale, then head coach Matt Nagy was asked, what were the positives of the four years with the team? He said this. There's a really good uh, franchise quarterback that's here that's going to be good for a long time. And uh, both Ryan and I were were, um, a part of that. Unfortunately, Nagy will be remembered for not improving Justin Fields and being unable to help Mitchell Trubisky develop into a viable starting quarterback. Can you help Matt Nagy identify any real positives from his four years in Chicago? John? Jeez, Aldo, why don't you just find why don't you just ask me to find Jimmy Hoffa? I'll probably have better luck. Uh leave it to Matt Nagy to to make sure everyone knows that if Justin Fields turns into a superstar, that he had a part in it. But I guess the only positive is actually a negative. The fool's gold season of 2018. It brought us back to life. It filled us with energy and hope. And then much like how the 2018 season ended. We were greatly disappointed. So I guess the only positive was actually a negative. I mean, a thousand percent correct. I mean, honestly, with all due respect, I feel negligence. I, I feel it, there was negligence. But if you talk to Justin Fields, he he always has everything positive to say against, against to Nagy. And so I got I kind of have to take his word for it. The only positive is you got experience because experience is the best teacher. At the end of the day, any experience is good experience. But it's just like. Justin, I feel is strong enough from a mental and will perspective that he can adapt and receive information. Justin is smart enough to know, I'm going to go over, that, hey, there's more to this to this game. Let me stay positive because what, what, is, what is Justin going to say? Like, you know what I'm saying? If he says the wrong thing and then he's casted out. And so you, he has to, like, tread that line. But I'm going to say it for him. Matt Nagy was negligent in the development of this young man because Matt Nagy, for somebody that sat around Patrick Mahomes for a full freaking year, and you got that man prepared to be an MVP, and you have your freaking chance, to, and you have a top 10 talent quarterback, and you get him not prepared to face the, the Cleveland Browns and get physically abused on TV, like, bro, I'm done with you. Don't even get me mad, John. This is well, I know, but like you thought, regardless of what you're, regardless of what you feel about Mitchell Trubisky or whatever, and I'm not going to go down this road of debating about Mitchell Trubisky, but the fact right. that he did have a number two overall pick and that he tried to try to develop him, you would have thought that he would have learned something from that experience. You would have thought that he would have taken something from that and then would have had better luck with Justin Fields, but it, it almost, it just, and Justin Fields is more athletically gifted than Mitchell Trubisky, so he kind of covered up some of those wars. But it's almost like he did a worse job with Justin Fields than what he did with Trubisky, maybe because they were winning more and because the defense was so dominant that it kind of just you kind of just glaze over that fact. But uh, it's uh, he's not going to be brought in to um, develop any quarterbacks anytime soon. Matt Nagy's actually from Central Pennsylvania, where where I'm located. So the local paper ran something about Matt Nagy being fired from the Bears. And of course, they all came to his aid saying, you know, no one was going to fix the Bears. It's not his fault. He's not going to stay unemployed very long. Can't wait to see where he lands. I can't wait to see where he lands either because I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know. I don't know what his job will be because he showed that he can't be a head coach right now. Mm-hmm. He showed that he can't call plays. Mm-hmm. He showed that he can't develop a young quarterback. Mm-hmm. 
who's gonna what what's his position going to be <laughs> what are they going to bring in and, and i mean at the college level he might be able to thrive his his system might work there if it's a little more wide open and he's getting five-star recruits right off the bat um so i can see him maybe going to the college ranks but in the nfl what is he going to be hired as i i, I honestly don't know and, and i'm not saying that to be mean i just i don't know what he would be overqualified to do at this point I'm sorry, uh, Alyssa, there was a report that Nagy was on the Jacksonville Jaguars interview list. Uh, Do you have you heard about that? Can you confirm that at all? (laughs) I have not. But oh, my God, I saw I saw I think Adam there was a fake account (laughs) about the about him interviewing for the Dolphins job or about the Dolphins hiring Nagy as their head coach. And I died. (laughs) I was like, always look for the blue check mark, guys. Oh, uh, that was, I mean, I could see him ending back up in Kansas City somewhere, especially if Eric Bieniemy gets a job elsewhere, like be it as, you know, offensive coordinator and Andy Reid kind of takes hold of the reins again or, you know, throw him at quarterbacks coach, you know, because, hey, Mahomes is Mahomes, so you really don't have to do much with him. So, I mean, I could see him ending back, ending back up in Kansas City, but I, I mean, and like John, you mentioned, I think he'd be great for college. I think he'd do a great job in college. That's probably where he needs to end up at this point, but I don't think we see him. Is that real? The Jacksonville thing? I, I did not hear about I, that. I can't. Be... I cannot imagine that that they they wow. would think after that fiasco with Urban Meyer, they're gonna say let's bring in Matt Nagy. Well, there's, maybe I'm they sure want to bring in a nice guy, right? But he just doesn't know how to. Do oh yeah, well that's true. But at least Trevor Urban Lawrence was... isn't a rookie next year. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, because he's did so much better with Trubisky in his second year. <laughs> yeah, I I just checked uh, the Google machine right away, and, and there's no reports of that, so I'm not quite sure where I saw that. It, it probably was bogus, but that would be the perfect time for him, right? <laughs> with that dysfunctional yeah. organization there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, let's uh, move on now to round. Uh, where are we? Round number three. <laughs> Back to Monday's press conference, George McCaskey said that the new general manager will be reporting to him and not the team president, Ted Phillips. McCaskey said that Phillips persuaded him that work on the new stadium will take up too much of his time for him to have this responsibility of the GM reporting to him. McCaskey then said that he'll have to learn how to do this new responsibility and that he would seek help from the new general manager. How comfortable are you with this scenario? Tyler, start us off. I'm I'm comfortable with it because it's something different. If you do what you've always done, you're going to get the same result, which is the definition of of insanity. And so obviously I wish we had somebody in there who had a higher football IQ to be doing it, but at least it's something different. I'm really just begging my chips on that we find the right GM that has the right plan for George to actually like like. One thing for certain, George should know what failure looks like. So I'm, I'm just hoping by this chance, he should know what, what something good comes along. Imagine you're on a job site like Indeed or whatever you use to look for jobs. And on one of the listings, the job description states, will be responsible for training your superior. <laughs> it would be comical if it weren't so frustrating. This is a, just another misstep in that press conference that could have been avoided. I, I want to know who the media prep team is comprised of or if there is a media prep team because you have to know that the media and the fans are going to dissect everything you say and a, there were a lot of gaffes within that 45, 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. 
And you can't convince me that he didn't know, you know, he doesn't read or hear. He gets all those letters, right? He responds to all those letters of fans. And we know that there are probably not many nice ones. And if they're nice, they want something. Uh, But I mean, after nothing's really changed. I mean, this is a guy that for an hour basically just told Bears fans, I don't know football. I'm a fan. And he's (laughs) supposed to be in charge of your GM. I mean, it just makes no sense. I mean, which I mean is not surprising considering this. You see why they only speak once a year, because uh, thank because, God. Yeah, because I, and I I've been saying this. You, they would rather everyone assume they're the problem than open their mouth and prove everyone right. And so this is why they they speak one time a year. That's why Ryan Pace spoke one time a year, other than you know the the team approved interviews that he would give sometimes. But uh, uh th- th- this is why you probably only hear from George McCaskey once a year. So he only has to put up with this once a year. Yeah. Yeah, when I worked in corporate America, we would do media training for all of the executives, senior executives, and we would have them sit down. We would say, we need two hours uh, of your time in a calendar, which is always a tough thing when you're asking a CEO, I need two hours of your time. But they they would say yes, because they knew the importance of, 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 projecting leadership when they're talking to their troops, to their players, to their fans, to the consumers and so forth. And that's clearly what did not happen with the Chicago Bears because they would have a a professional media uh, coaching team would have said, all right, so how are you going to answer this question? No, you can't do it that way, George. You've got to project strength. So when you say that the general manager is going to report to you, you need to say, I have total confidence in myself to work with the new general manager on a plan that is going to get us to the Super Bowl as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Responses like mm-hmm. that is, is what we are craving. We're craving that. We're not craving, we're, we're not craving this Bro. kind of doddering approach to leadership that George McCaskey displayed on Monday. It's sad that that's the team we are representing. And when I'm old enough to have remembered listening to George McCaskey talk at press conferences. And this was when he was in his eighties and that guy even then sounded like a leader. <laughs> yes. Yeah, George yeah. Hallis. What did I say? McCaskey. George Hallis sounded like a leader. And uh, unfortunately we don't have anybody at Hallis Hall right now. That sounds that way. Hopefully they'll hire one. So it, his main thing was like, I know nothing. Trust me. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Like, bro, like, what was the plan? Like, mm-hmm. are you doing this on purpose? Are you doing this on purpose? Are you intentionally trying to confuse us? Like, dang. The, 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 the Bears truly encapsulate the front office. No plan. <laughs> no plan. And did you see him? He was so proud of this new restructure, which is basically just kicking Ted Phillips out and to then the having the GM report to him, someone who does not know football. And I'm like, he looks so proud of that. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Don't worry, fan man's here. I'll take care of it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and to use the word, Ted persuaded me that he's too busy. Right. It's like, what persuaded me? Like, like he had to talk me out because he's just doing a bang-up job, and it took everything in me to say, all right, Ted, you go ahead and step away from football. I don't know how we're going to replace you. Thank God we got Bill Polian in the back. But like, right. it's, oh, it's that was the, the phrasing, and just from – I have a lot of experience with this as far as media training and understanding what you should say or what's the best way to put out a united front. And there there just has to be and, – and we this is the same criticism we had last year where it seemed like 
they were sideswiped by a lot of these questions that were so obviously going to be asked whenever you retain Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace about why the offensive line was messed up, why, why you haven't gotten the quarterback position right. They were just, it looked like they were so unprepared. And then this year, it's another, it's, it's just another version of that where it's just like, you have to know how this is going to play unless you are so disconnected from reality to not to think that if I say this, is it going to get a good reaction or a bad reaction? Unless you just do not care, which I don't think that's the case. I think George does care. I just think he gaffs a lot. Uh, So taking a shot at Olin Krutz. Yeah, that's going to have a bad reaction. Uh, Saying that you're just a fan, but asking for the fans trust going to have a bad reaction lauding ted phillips gonna have a bad reaction having a weird transition about talking about jeff dickerson and then going into into the matt Nagy situation it's gonna have a bad reaction you have to know that like uh, you have to have people around you at least to say george this ain't gonna play right we gotta we gotta rework this a little bit (laughs) and then, then maybe you don't come out of the press conference with every publication who was happy about the firing and was supporting the decision about the firings two hours later you're on the front page of every sports section and you're looking like you you know what so like there has to be something that goes into that process we uh george mccaskey was a former prosecutor all I have to say is that the streets are a lot safer now that he didn't pursue that, that career. <laughs> Sorry, George. I'm just joking. All right. Here we go. Round four. <laughs> As you know, the Bears have a pending purchase of $197 million for 326 acres of land in Arlington Heights. George McCaskey was very cautious with his words about the idea of building a new stadium. All we're doing is exploring the property's potential. Um, We don't even own the property yet. And any questions beyond that would be premature at this point. Given the track record of this ownership team, how confident are you that the Bears will eventually build a new state-of-the-art stadium and that if they do, that they'll deliver a fan experience worthy of the big dollars it will take to enter that venue. John Buffone, start us off. Oh, there's money to be had. I have all the confidence in the world. You'll probably see that new stadium before you see the Bears in an NFC championship game. Now, God willing, I'm wrong about that, but they are savvy at making money. This is where my confidence in Ted Phillips actually comes in. They have an opportunity to make a destination location with hotels, restaurants, bars, casinos, fan entertainment zones. And if it's a facility with a retractable roof, it could be a location that hosts concerts, conventions, and maybe even a Super Bowl with the Bears won't be playing in. I mean, all, all of those things sound great and, and and awesome to see. But my confidence, why does he make something not weird weird? Bro, just say we look, we're looking at, we're looking to upgrade and move on. Like like you're being secretive about the wrong stuff. If you're in charge of moving us into another like modern era, be proud of that. We're not looking at the property, looking at the property. Just say what it is and get over it. It's a, so so that took away from the confidence. So I'm gonna let myself be surprised by any development because I can't even trust you to be transparent about the most simplest thing. So it was just like, bro, we should be excited about that. Give us, give us something to like, like give us, give us some crack, give us some cookies or something, bro. Because we got a lot of sour milk over here. Like, come on. I love it. <laughs> you, you nailed that. You nailed that because they are overly secret about weird stuff. 
Like just yeah. like why? Why is it like 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 I always say it's like the it's like the McCaskies have the nuclear codes and they can't let anybody know about it. Like Precious. just say what you're doing. Yeah, just say what you're doing. Like what what why is that like you're on a need to know basis about this? Like what? Is it like you're this is not that this is not something that has to be completely behind the curtain. This is something you could actually be transparent about. This is once again, this could be something that diverts people's attention away from all the bad stuff you've already said in this press conference. Give them hope about something. If we do, if we do have this facility. It's going to be the nicest you've ever seen. It's going to dwarf Jerry's world. We're going to have a state-of-the-art complex for people to stay at. We're going to have a screen the size of seven school buses go across there. It's going to be beautiful. Like, oversell it. Go ahead. Pump the fans up for something because you're doing a really bad job during this press conference. Get them excited about something. But He could have said, it is our intention as this organization, we want to host a Super Bowl and we want to make sure we can give the best fan experience, but even better yet, Chicago Bears fans, we want to play in that Super Bowl. Even if you lying, that still feels yes. good. It feels good. It feels good. Yes. Nailed it. I love it's like they can't, they don't even believe the words that are coming out of their mouth. Like they don't even want right. to say something like that. But like it's you like, said, I don't, I don't even, even remember. That. Right. I don't even remember at what point Arlington Heights finally came up in the press conference because it was just like. It was an hour nonstop and I just, but you know, give, like you said, give, give the fans something to be excited about because this team doesn't look like it's going in the right direction and there's money to be had like John was, John mentioned before. And, you know, so talk it up, right? Cause you know that those fans that are watching this press conference that are listening that are giving or paying and buying tickets to soldier field and all this merchandise, they will spend a lot of money at that stadium. So just answer it. And it just feels like, not only just ownership, but like, remember how Matt Nagy just like wouldn't answer questions about mm-hmm. the silliest of things? Or, I mean, yes. it just feels like, is that like a job requirement? Are they going to be like interviewing these GM and head coaching candidates and being like, okay, well, this is how we do it. Uh, this is how we do it with the Chicago Bears. We don't right. give answers to anything unless Nothing. we are required to by the NFL. So, I mean, they were mentioning that they're going to look for, or, or Ted Phillips said that they're going to look for, uh, some similar qualities that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy had at that point. I was just like, Oh gosh, maybe that's one of them. Good. I love what all three of you said, but Tyler really nailed it when he says, why do you got to make something weird when it ain't weird? Don't make it weird. <laughs> all right. We're moving on to our final round, round five. <laughs> The Bears have one of the strongest fan bases in the NFL, but there are signs uh, on social media that that fan base's love for the Bears is starting to erode. Studies also support this contention. One listed the Bears fan base as the sixth highest group of fans complaining about the team. If the Bears continue to flounder in mediocrity, is there a limit to your devotion to this franchise? Or do you have unconditional support for the Chicago Bears? Tyler, start us off. I mean, unconditional is a strong word. I got to be controlling my finances because normally I would buy all the jerseys possible, but I got to be responsible. But but what I will say is this: the Bears fans are just starving for winning. If you if you if we win two games in a row next year, everybody be back. We just want to win at this point, and so like um, and I'm confident that we will. We got Justin. We have just, we have a nice young. Um, future leader in Justin Fields with our brand new organization. It only took the Chicago Bulls two seasons to do it. Um, I'm hopeful. 
I think it's not just fatigue from losing, although that is part of it. But if you're under 45 years of age, you've basically seen the Chicago Bears do the exact same thing throughout your entire life. They struggle to put together a high-powered offense. They construct a formidable defense. Then we watch that team waste the defense because they can't score points. Occasionally, they catch a flash-in-the-pan season every five to seven years when they actually look like a playoff team, and then they look for a new GM and a head coach after that. They've been bad, but fans can almost predict the future with that team, and that's not entertainment. As for me, I have orange and blue in my blood, but uh, much like my Uncle Doug would always uh, show everyone, you can love something and still be perennially pissed off at it. (laughs) Yeah, is, I didn't know. Is there an option? Is there an option to like get out? Because I can't. I don't see out? it. I don't know how to do that. Like, really, can I transfer somewhere? Right. But you know, like in your, you know, although you mentioned like all the complaining, like that's the thing is that while Bears are complaining, guess what? They're still tuning into the games. They're still showing up to games. They're still buying merchandise. That's the thing is even the complaining. And the McCaskies know that. They know that Bears fans are going to spend money. They know that whether they win or lose, they're still going to make money. Especially with with the new stadium in Arlington Heights, assuming that's what happens. I think we all believe that at this point. So, I mean, even if there's apathy, I mean, still we're tuning in. Like, you you can't help it. And I think that's what, you know, one of the things with a fandom like the Bears is, like John said, you got it in your blood. And because it's hard, you can't be a bandwagon Bears fan unless you're like back in the 80s. So, like, nowadays, like, if you're a fan, (laughs) then you are a fan. And then one thing we got to remember just as a Bears, as Bears Nation, or even as a sports fan, I just like in the stock market, I love, for example, just like I love buying in low. I love I love buying in low because that's when you get the biggest return on your investment. And the same thing in sports It's like it's easy. I'm not a fair weather fan. I'm down for my squad when we lose. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be around just for the good. I didn't become a Golden State Warriors fan because they are winning. It's because I, I understand the bad times. And you have to go through the bad to appreciate the good. But that good and bad is at every single level. We're not talking about bad play. We're talking about bad leadership. We're talking about lack of vision. We're talking about lack of clarity. How can you teach young men that are new young professionals in corporate America that are that are multimillionaires and you tell them to be obedient and do a task, but as a leadership role, you're not putting that kid in the best position to be successful. Shame on you. So if Bears fans have a legitimate reason to be to complain because the leadership isn't putting this talent in the possessed position because we get somebody like Khalil Mack, who's a generational talent, and he's not being taken care of. And so that sucks when you get people that can actually move you forward. So, But the people that are responsible for the development practice negligence. So now, real quick, it's exciting because we have new vision coming. So they've sold, if they didn't fire Matt Nagy, it would be a real problem. But since they sell it, because when you get a new coach, it's always a chance. Now there's a chance. So there's a reason for optimism to be excited because you never know. Shake the dice. Does anything can happen? <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, if we were keeping score, uh, I think everyone would get the 100 points and it would be a three-way tie on this deploy. You guys really, (laughs) really brought it. This is very, very entertaining. Uh, Who's going to throw it to the break here? I can do that. I just want to say real quick, uh, I want to thank uh, Tyler for being a part of the Bear Debate uh, throughout the year. We had a hell of a good time doing that show. It was so fun. Uh, well, I look forward to the next season of it as well because uh, it was it was a lot of fun, got a lot of good feedback, and quite frankly, it's just a good therapy session. So my man, my brother, I, th- I appreciate you. I appreciate you being part of Bear Football and the Bear Debate. Loved having you on before in 55. Glad we could get you on finally. Uh, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you down the road. 
Thank you so much, brother. I definitely appreciate it. Alyssa says you're awesome. Keep being great. And Aldo, you know what it is, sir. <laughs> Love you, brother. All right, everybody. We'll be back with more Buffon 55 right after this. Before I got into radio, I knew that he was somewhat of a knucklehead because, uh, you know, he alienated White Sox fans by immediately charging them money for a free product that they had been getting on TV. So he screwed that pooch up. But I also liked him. You know, he picked up Pudge, Bisky. He also saved the White Sox. With Jerry and me, it's always been love-hate. He's been mad at me forever, but we've tolerated each other. I think, you know, he'll always blame me for him getting rid of Reniac and Gallus, Rob Gallus. I was the major culprit there. I've been mean-spirited to Kenny Williams, and he deserved it. Garrett Jackson, Ed Farmer, name him. I was hard on the White Sox, and he didn't like it. That's just the way it goes. I've been in his head for years. And you know what? I said, if I was your right-hand man, you'd win more than you're winning now. He told me I reminded him of his father. I go, did you hate your father? Welcome back to this extended version of the phone 55 and the train just keeps on rolling. So John, who do we have next? Well, Alyssa, I am thrilled to welcome our next guest to the show. You may know her as the host of the bears previa joining us live from Mexico. We welcome Nasley Briones to Buffon 55. Nasley, thanks for being on. How are you doing tonight? Hi, I'm great. Thanks you for inviting me. I hope my um, audio is fine. Do you guys listen yeah. to me? Well, Okay, yep. great. Audio is um, great. <laughs> cool. I'm so excited. I gotta for start. This. <laughs> I gotta start with this uh, because I know how we reacted in the United States, more specifically in Chicago. But I want to know what the reaction was in Mexico where, with uh, with Bears fans. Was it equally as happy that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy were eventually fired uh, from their roles with the Chicago Bears? What was the reaction down there? It was definitely the same. I'm, I'm in a lot of uh, group of fans of the Bears, and everybody was thrilled, like really. Uh, everybody was happy, and we make a lot of, you know, like videos and podcasts and show our happiness to the world that finally we are out of Nike and Pace. Now, well, we're just looking for who is going to be the next GM and the next, next head coach. <laughs> I love this, like an international party, right? With <laughs> Matt being gone. Uh, so yeah. football, yeah, American football is becoming an international game now. And you know, I was curious, what teams are most popular? You know, where you are throughout Mexico. I like to call them basic teams, <laughs> and I will say <laughs> if there are there is <laughs> Cowboys, Steelers, Forty uh, ers and Patriots also, 
Um, I will say those four are the most popular teams in Mexico, actually. And I like to say they are basic <laughs> because some uh, a friend of mine wanted me to buy me a hat from the Bears, but he couldn't fi find anything from the Bears here in Mexico. So when he went to the, the store, the guy from the store told him, oh, we don't have Bears hat. You, we just have um, basic teams. Ads, like Steelers, Patriots, and Cowboys, and those kind of things, you know. So I like to to say that I I am I'm a fan of a pretty good team, <laughs> and weird also. <laughs> yeah, I guess they're yeah a pretty good team is a nice way to put it. Uh, so I have to I have to ask you with those basic teams; those are also pretty successful teams throughout the years, depending on which decade you're talking about. But I gotta ask you. What possessed you to want to be a Chicago Bears fan? You could have chosen any team in the world, and you're uh, and all of a sudden a Chicago Bears fan. So what uh, what curse was put on you that you became a Bears fan? <laughs> I fall in love with the city. Like, really. <laughs> I started to watch football on 2012. I used to play flag football here in my city. I'm from Tamaulipas, which is in the north side of Mexico. But I have family in Chicago, so I went there for six months uh, to learn English and whatever and have a good time. <laughs> so I, I fall in love with the city and enjoy everything about it. And, the, um, you know, like the mix of cultures, the, the food, especially the food. <laughs> and the fans, uh, they are like really intense. And I just read about the team. I've been reading about all the history and it's it's like a, it's the team that has like a hundred years. So there is a lot to, you know, like to see around the birds and everything. So I just fell in love with it. And I saw I I was like, OK, this is my team. And also when I saw for the first time the birds, I remember this um, Matt Forte. He was the running back. So I enjoy watching him uh, playing. So that's mainly the reason I became a Bears fan. <laughs> I, I got to ask awesome. you real quick on a follow-up. Follow, uh, you're, so you're not from Chicago, so you can, have a, you can have an objective opinion about this. What pizza do you prefer while you're in Chicago? Do you like the, do you like the deep dish or do you like the thin crust and the tavern style? For you, what, no. was, your, what was your favorite going in there? Deep dish, Giordano's, of course. <laughs> oh, there it is. Deep dish for the win. <laughs> yeah, deep dish pizza. that's the best pizza ever, like, for real. <laughs> that's a lot of cheese in it. It's just delicious. I love it. <laughs> yeah, the more cheese, the better. I mean, I'm on there. <laughs> uh, and so, so now, like, it sounds like you were partying a little bit. We had one of the comments pop up there after Matt Nagy was fired. So I was curious, you know, as the Bears are uh, embarking on this coaching search, you know, what kind of coach would you like to see the Bears go after? Well, um, I don't know yet, like, about a name, but just a guy who knows how to play calls, you know? <laughs> a guy who knows how to play calls and who takes, you know, like, advantage with the guys he has on the team. Like, uh, you know, we have Justin Fields, we have Robinson Smith. Uh, we have a lot of good players, and the next coach, the next coach, sorry, he just need to know how to take advantage of these guys. 
I agree. Uh, because one thing that we saw with the last coaching staff and the coaching staff behind that would be not being able to get the most out of their players, especially when you have uh, just this year, for an example, that comes right to my mind is having Allen Robinson, a guy who had multiple 100 year, uh, 100 year, 100 uh, receiving uh, years and then can't do anything with them this year. So uh, not being able to get the most out of the players, uh, that that's something that needs to be needs to be fixed. So I, I do want to talk about the NFL International Series, because when people hear that, they hear they think about all the games over in London and the Jaguars play a lot of games in London. They, they play a lot of games across the pond over over in Europe. But uh, there have been three NFL games played in Mexico since 2016, all at Estadio Azteca. So I, I want to ask you, when the NFL comes to town, or I should say comes to the country, uh, what is the reaction to that? How excited uh, do the Mexican fan base does the Mexican fan base get when the NFL comes down? Because obviously uh, football or soccer, as we say in the States is probably King down there, but what is the reaction when uh football Americano comes down there? What's that like? <laughs> Pretty wild. I would say people here loves football, you know, like there is a lot of fans in Mexico. Uh, you can see it through Twitter, uh, different websites we have here, uh, to national TV or whatever, uh, we really do enjoy the game. And we have a lot of fans here, you know, mixed stuff, like I said, a lot of Cowboys fans, Chiefs fans, Raiders, Steelers, etc., etc. So people get really excited about when NFLs get in town, you know? It's, it's really cool. I've never been in the Stadio Azteca to watch a football game, unfortunately. The last one I remember, um, I went to this to this flag football tournament, so I wasn't able to go there. <laughs> but I have watched it uh, on TV, and it's just amazing, you know? It, it's really cool. I, I enjoy that the NFL um, comes here into Mexico because they have a lot of fans, for real. Is it the same kind of atmosphere as it would be for a soccer match? Is it is it almost is it close to those two? Where if like I, I could because I I know what the atmosphere can be like in a soccer match match in Mexico. Is it does it get close to that level of excitement down there? Yes, it, it does. Mostly because you know we just have it once a year. You know, like you have soccer every year. I'm kind of tired of soccer, <laughs> so everybody just talks about soccer and soccer and soccer, but you just get to watch one time a year an NFL. So it, it gets amazing, like for real. Speaking of excitement, it's the opposite that's kind of happening, happening in Chicago. You know, most Bears fans don't have hope that the team can turn it around in 2022. So I was wondering, what are your thoughts about the Bears future? Well, first of all, we need to find a good GM and then a good head coach. So it's, um, I don't know, I mean, theater seems bright to Chicago as long as they find the right guys to be in front of it. We do have a lot of, uh, you know, like good players. So I think we can make it to the playoffs next year if we find the, the, a decent head coach and a decent GM. Maybe I will... Uh, I might get cocky, but I will say we can make it to the Super Bowl in 2024. 
okay. That was a realistic. That was realistic. I I I thought you were gonna go with the 2022. I was like, hey, 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 hey. And then, no, and then you, you hit it. You I'm really hit a, go. I'll take yeah, it. realistic. I'll take 2024. I will take some time in my lifetime. You know, the last time they were, I was in high school, and that didn't go well. So, I mean, give it to me 2024. Let's go. Yeah, I will freeze myself till 2024. Thaw me out, and then I and I will I will watch the Bears play in the Super Bowl. Now you spoke of the Super Bowl, so I got to ask you: with the Bears season over, and uh, you know, you said a lot of your friends and a lot of the fans down there uh, they they root for other teams. So I, I'm going to ask you: who is your pick to go to the Super Bowl? Who do you think can actually win it all this year? Because it's not going to be the Bears, but it's still the NFL playoffs. It's still very exciting. You still get to watch football for the next three four weeks. So, um, wh- what are your thoughts on who can actually make a deep run in the, in the for the Super Bowl? Please, anybody but the Packers. Please, I don't want to yeah. see the Packers win the No, but for real, um, I would like to see the Bills winning the Super Bowl. Imagine, imagine another Super Bowl between Cowboys and the Bills. That will be incredible. Yes. That will be amazing. <laughs> and I will like, Yeah, I love you, Haiti. <laughs> so I will definitely. Uh, would we'll like to see the Bills winning a, a Super Bowl. I think they that's owe the Cowboys. They owe the Cowboys a Super Bowl win because uh, they 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 didn't have so much luck back in the early nineties. Yeah. Whenever they they went zero for two with Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, uh, all those all those great players exactly. that the Bills had, but the Cowboys had some better players. Uh, so and the Bills, of course, won four straight Super Bowls. Just could not could not get over the hump there. But uh, honestly, I want to thank like you so that. much. Jim for- the, yes, the Jim Kelly yes. revenge in hands of, of Josh Allen. <laughs> I can't imagine what the streets of Buffalo will look like if they win a Super Bowl. If because I I've always had great respect for the for the Buffalo Bills and their fan base. They're they're great people. They love the team and they've gone through some rough years. They've lost four straight Super Bowls uh, back in the early uh, early eighties and or late eighties, early nineties. So they if they if the Bears can't win one. Go ahead and let let them let them win one, and then we will maybe see Mitch Trubisky get a, a Super Bowl ring, as somebody says uh, in the chat room, which which would be that would make my ironic. heart glow. That would definitely happen. Mitch Trubisky gets his he Super Bowl ring, uh, but it's not not with he the Bears, not with the Bears. <laughs> yes. Uh, before we before we get you out of here, uh, please let our listeners and viewers know how they can connect with you. I know you got a lot of different projects going on, so you cover you don't just cover the Bears; you talk about football in general. So let let everybody know where they can listen to your stuff, they can see your stuff, they can uh, follow you on Twitter, all that good stuff. Okay, you can find me on Football Girls Mekis, also on Gol de Campo. Um, it's just this fan base of football in Mexico. And, well, you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm as Natalie Briones, so you can find me there, and we can talk about the birds. <laughs> Absolutely. She is the host of the Bears Previa here on the Barroom Network as well. Natalie Briones, thank you so much for being on this end-of-the-year show on Buffone 55. We can't wait to have you back on and uh, see another year of the Previa. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys, for the invite. Um, I was really excited about this, and I hope to see you soon. <laughs> Sounds good. And we we will be back with more Buffon 55 right after this.
Welcome back to Buffone 55, and we just keep moving forward. We know the Bears will have a new GM and head coach in the near future, but that regime will be faced with their first NFL draft in the spring. So what direction will they take their maiden voyage? And for that, we'll bring aboard Danny Shimon and Neil Stopchinski, the hosts of Draft on Tap here on the Barroom Network. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks for the invite. Uh, how you doing, Alyssa? The first time actually I've been on a show with Alyssa, I believe. Yes, that's awesome. It's a big. We're bringing everyone in. It's a perfect time. We, it's we a big have party. Everyone. It's I a big love party. Family event, guys. Yeah. Yeah, it is a. It is a. It, we're just bringing everyone into the bar, and we're just gonna. We're having one last blowout before we really hit into the off season. That's really where you guys take a hold of everything. This is where you're in your prime, you are in your glory. So we had to have you on to talk about the direction that the Bears may go in because a lot of the talk is about the GM and the head coach and Bill Pullian and the search and what all is the schemes and all this other stuff. But eventually that GM is going to have to start some roster construction and that's going to start with this draft, even though the Bears don't have a first round pick because they used that for Justin Fields last year. So Danny, I'm going to start with you for some people that may not under, may not know what the bears have at their disposal. As far as draft capital goes, uh, they did also trade away a couple picks, not just for Justin Fields. So how depleted are they going into this draft? Yeah, it's, it's played pretty depleted. I mean, they only have five picks going into this draft right now. The, uh, they have the, obviously the first round pick, the fourth round pick are gone part of the Justin Fields trade. I believe their, their seventh round pick went for the uh, Jakeem Grant trade as well. So, um, so right now they have the uh, second round pick, a third round pick, two fifth round picks, and, and a sixth round pick. So the second round pick should be r- roughly in the, the thirty nine to thirty eight range uh, in, in the second round, and then that third round pick should be in like in seventy one range. So they're going to have two top one hundred picks in the in, in the you know in the first uh, couple rounds there. And so uh, Neil, I'm going to kick it over to you. Uh, if you look, you're looking at this this Chicago Bears team. And you see that there's probably a lot of holes in there. Uh, a lot of things need addressed. And you can't fix everything with free agency. Well, we know that. Um, but with the amount of picks that the Bears have, what area of need do you feel they should go after right away? They could say this is the biggest need and it's the biggest need that needs addressed with a draft pick. And me specifically, I'm really worried about the offensive line room, specifically the middle, guards and centers. And I'm really worried about that DB room, specifically the safeties. You know, you got uh, you got Gibson going uh, into free agency this offseason. Eddie Jackson, I couldn't say enough bad things about him. <laughs> he's he, he's still going to be kicking around, but you know, hopefully, there's a little bit of rejuvenation for Eddie Jackson this offseason. That's the only, the only thing you can really hope with him. So I'm, you know, to me, and then the other two guys behind them, that the depth guys are also going to free agency as well. You know, Bush and DHC. So um, you know, to me, that room is is insanely depleted. Um, if you're if you're looking at the interior offensive line, uh, Daniels, Bars, and Mustafer all entered free agency this offseason. You got Whitehair coming back; he's under contract with 2025, and uh, he's serviceable enough to, to to get you through without necessarily needing to you know replace that position. But the thing about it is, guys, is that you know Daniels he loves playing, having too much fun playing football, and Mustafer gets pushed around a lot. I want more guys in the middle there that are strong, tough dudes that that can punch you in the mouth. You know. Um, you know, to me, like the interior offensive line, I think is the number one, you know, position group that needs to be addressed. It uh, was supposed to have been addressed last year. They addressed tackle twice, uh, which I'm not complaining about that. I just was that they they had two different picks than what they picked. You know, I, I like the fact that they did address tackle twice, but uh, the, the the specific guys in the room didn't exactly strike my fancy to say this, to say the least. So, uh, interior offensive line, I think, is where you go with that uh, that you know late 30s uh, pick, early second round. 
And then I think, you know, once you get into the 70s, you, you look at a safety, you look at a receiver because we are depleted there as well. You know, we got a bunch of super midgets in that room, got a bunch of small guys that can run fast. You don't have a single guy on, on that uh, offensive side that is over six foot tall except for Allen Robinson. And guess what? He's also a free agent. So I, I think that either in free agency or in the draft, you got to figure out a way to get a guy with some size, some athletic ability that can win, you know, one-on-one -on -one battles against DBs. And then, uh, you know, again, you know, just to go on the other side of, of the DB room, the cornerbacks, you know, I'm not as concerned about the cornerbacks room as I am about the safeties because, you know, uh, you got uh, you got Johnson under contract for a while under until 2024. Uh, Thomas Graham showed a lot of promise. You hope that he could develop in the offseason to become your number two. Kendall Vildor still has enough to at least be a, a serviceable backup, maybe a nickel. And then Duke Shelley is, is still got one more year in a contract. So at least you have some bodies in the room, right? But still, you don't have a bunch of quality bodies. And so that's what concerns me. And so those are probably the top four positions I'm looking at. And you kind of look at this quarterback class or you compare it to last year's with you have, you know, five quarterbacks that went there in the top uh, 15. And you look at this year's draft class or quarterback draft class. So, Danny, I was you know curious, how does this year's group compare to last year's? It, to me, it doesn't. I mean, if you look at the the grades I had on, on the top guy in this year's class for me is Kenny Pickett out of Pitt. Um, I had him going last year in, in, in the fourth round. I, I like Kenny Pickett. He's got the size. He's got some moxie, um, you know, a sneaky athlete back there. But he's not a guy that, that I would have drafted in the first round last year. So that's why last year, both Neil and I, we're, we're adamant that the Bears, if they're going to go and get a quarterback in, in the draft, that was the year to go up and get one. That's why we, we were so excited when they went up there and, and uh, Justin Fields at the 11th pick. And, and just to, to follow up on that, um, if the Bears would have not, if they would have stayed put last year, uh, what position as far as your evaluation goes, now they don't have their quarterback potentially and they don't have a good quarterback class to choose from. So ultimately, and I know that he's not there anymore, but Ryan Pace did the right thing to steward the franchise uh, into the future. And you were a guy that said you wouldn't have been upset if Ryan Pace uh, was let go or if uh, you wouldn't have been if he would have been retained. Uh, is this kind of his parting gift to the franchise, much like Matt Nagy said in his press conference? Well, that I'll say they have a Matt, franchise quarterback. Yeah, Matt Nagy just told you guys, hey, when this guy's good, me and Ryan went up and got him. So but yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of Ryan Pace, see, for me. And I know I, I got a lot of uh, a lot of feedback in terms of you know, why am I defending Ryan Pace? Listen, I, I think this guy did. I mean, he made mistakes, but they all make mistakes. And I, but I think he put some talent on this team here, in which where you can kind of build off of it. And there's some some young potential. You know, all pro today was uh, Warcon Smith. You talk, you got Darnell Mooney, you got Justin Fields. You know, if if, if you went in into this this year's draft without Justin Fields and you got to get a quarterback, I, I wouldn't advise him to move up or, or down for any of these quarterbacks. I'll just say if if you're sitting there at whatever pick seven. Uh, that for me is a too high for Kenny Pickett, but you know how quarterbacks are. They're all going to be pushed up the draft board. So if Kenny Pickett's the top guy on your board and you need a quarterback, it's a bit of a reach, but you probably would go that way. However, for me, if, if for example, if they're coming into this draft with just the seventh pick, I would try and make a trade for either a veteran for Russell Wilson, or maybe even, you know, if Deshaun Watson's, uh, you know, cases, you know, his civil lawsuits all clear up, you know, off, off the football field. Those are two guys I would kind of look at. You know, Aaron Rodgers probably isn't going to come here. I think he actually told us he's not going to ever going to play for the Bears. So, but um, I, I would. Those are the two veterans I would concentrate on if I if I was the Bears and I didn't have Justin Fields on my roster. Yeah, Neil, you mentioned you know a couple big needs. Uh, one of them being receiver. You know, uh, obviously Darnell Mooney being the only receiver under contract currently in 2022. So I was curious. You know, obviously the Bears don't have a first round pick, but they have that second and third and then kind of later on. So I was curious what receivers you think could be available, whether the Bears decide to jump and take one at two 
uh, three Earth, they kind of try to find. I know Brian Pace isn't in place, but maybe they find another gem in the later rounds. You know, that's a really interesting question because there, there's a few guys that I really like that actually could drop a little bit because of their injury situations. You know, a guy like Drake London from USC, which had an ankle uh, this past year. A guy like, uh, you know, George Pickens and and uh, Justin George Pickens from Georgia, Justin Ross from Clemson, guys that spent a lot of either, you know, this, se- this past season or 2020 banged up and not, you know, playing a whole lot of football the past two seasons. Again, I, I go back to my prototype, big, strong, athletic, and win one-on-one battles. All, all these guys, these, these three guys in particular, they're, they're 6'3", they're 200-plus, they can run fast, they can jump high, were spectacularly highly recruited in high school. Right? You're talking about some of like the, the four or five stars you know, coming out of their respective classes. And so th- those are some interesting guys that otherwise, all things being equal, could have been potential you know, first-round picks that may drop a little bit to day two that the Bears could have a, have a potential spot to uh, you know, slide in and snag if, uh, you know – if, if they indeed do drop that far, I love David Bell out of Purdue. Mm-hmm. I think that kid has spectacular hands. I think he's got great moxie playing the position. He's very, uh, he's, he's got excellent ball skills, um, deceptive speed. Uh, that, that, that's a guy that, you know, if he doesn't go first round, if, if they have a shot to nab him in, in uh, early day two, I, I would love to see that happen. Um, and then, uh, you know, kind of like a little bit of a dark horse. I mean, I know they talked about him a lot during, uh, you know, media days, leading up to the final four and, and and then also, you know, the championship game, but Alec Pierce from Cincinnati is watching him play versus Notre Dame this past year. It created a lot of separation. Another guy with size, six, three, 200, um, you know, very instinctive, excellent ball skills. Another guy that could just go up and get it. Um, you know, th- those are some guys that just off the top of my head, that I wrote down, you know, just, you know, right before the show started that really stick out to me as guys that could either fall or guys that would be phenomenal picks for where we are in this draft without having to trade any draft capital, anything off the roster, future picks to move up and get. Yeah, if, and Chicago fans, if, if you guys, if we do lose Allen Robinson, Drake London would be a perfect uh, replacement from big kid, long arms, uh, able to extend away from his frame to, to reel in that catch, physical blocker downfield. I think he'd be a nice, this guy was going to go, was target a first round all the way. Neil mentioned he, he fractured his leg versus Arizona. So he's that it all, you know, he's probably not going to be able to work out during the, during the combine. So that, that could drop him down into the second round. That'd be a nice pickup, I guess. Again, his medicals would have to kind of dictate where he goes in the draft. But one guy that, that Neil didn't mention that, that I kind of like, now he's not, he's a different type of receiver. He's not as physical and not, not a big, you know, yards after the catch kind of guy, but Chris Olave from Ohio State, uh, you know, Justin Fields' teammate. You know, he's a guy that gives you some of that verticality in terms of speed downfield. Guy can get down, make some nice plays, get good body control. Another guy with good hands, be able to extend away from his frame and bring in that catch. Again, not a big guy, about six feet, 190-some pounds, but gives you that big play potential getting downfield. You know, the Bears were kind of in a similar situation a few years ago. Now they did have two second-round picks. This year they they just have the one, but uh, where they had to kind of let the first round shuffle out and then see what was left, and then ultimately they went with Cole Komet. Uh, Danny, I'm going to ask you, is this a situation where you do you let the draft, if you're the Bears, do you let the draft come to you and then you draft the best player in an area of need, or – if you, or is it coming down to they we need a we need a wide receiver we have to take the best receiver available uh what what would be your uh, thought process in that 
Yeah, I, I'll let the draft come to me because you just line up the capital right now to move up unless you unless you start dipping into next year's draft and you really don't want to do that right now. So if anything, you probably want to draft trade down from the 39th pick and try to recoup some of that draft capital later on in the draft. Like I said, this is probably going to be another deep draft in the receiver in the receiver pool. So that's going to be a nice area where you can maybe pluck some guy in the third or fourth round. We can come in kind of like a Darnell Mooney, a fifth round guy comes in, becomes a big contributor uh, on your uh, office within two seasons. So, you know, for me, it's like a cornerback is, is a, is a big time need. Neil talked about the offensive line, the defensive line. Uh, and basically to put it simple here, guys, anything but running back and quarterback I'm drafting or I'm looking at, because those are, those are two positions that I'm not going to touch right now in the draft. Um, but you know, guys like, uh, in terms of a cornerback that might drop a Roger McCreary from, from Auburn physical corner, four-year starter, the guy's got 30 pass defense. So he's got some ball skills, nine interceptions in his career. Uh, a guy that's a very good open field tackler. So that's a guy, Roger McCreary if he, from Auburn, if he drops down that, that pick 39 area. And if you see, there's more other corners that you have highly rated on your board. Maybe you can slide back a little bit and recoup some of those draft capital. That's the, that's the idea or that's the plan I would have if I'm the GM. And, you know, if, you know, they do stick with that and stick at the number 39, pick 39, who do you hope falls to them, like, at a, whether it's receiver, corner, or offensive lineman? Who are some guys that you think could fall to that 39 spot? Neil, I'll start with you. Man, there, there's, uh, there's an interesting group of interior offensive linemen that may not be, you know, all the way first-round picks that, uh, you know, and, and you're talking about a position group, too, that isn't nearly as deep to me as it was last year. Um, that's why I was hoping that we were able to, uh, address that a little bit last year, but, uh, you know, you got, you got some guys such as, uh, there, there were a couple guys from LSU that Danny and I had evaluated for last year's draft that ended up staying in, uh, Chase and Hines from, from, uh, LSU at Ingram from LSU. Um, you know, Chase and Hines to me was, was, was a dude that is, uh, you know, uniquely athletic and has a lot of strength at the point of attack. And Ed Ingram was a guy that had a really good year that just want to try and, and, uh, solidify his, draft stock move up a little bit both those guys I felt you know me specifically were third fourth round guys last year that probably solidified themselves as day two guys uh probably not dropping to day three uh Zion Johnson is a guy that played left tackle for Boston College last year that to me um is uh reminds me a lot of Rashawn Slater in terms of a guy that is athletic enough and smart enough to really play all five positions across the way but probably more more adept to play on the interior um you know he's uh He's a really smart kid. He uh, he played in on the interior this year after starting uh, every game of left tackle last year. So he's a he's a kid that's really interesting to me. That could be a uh, round two, round three guy. Um, and then and then again, I talked about Mustafer. Really not uh, man. It, it 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 bothers me when I see him in the backfield. You know, a couple of those guys in the interior offensive line spent almost as much time in the backfield as here as David Montgomery, and that that really bothers me. And so I, I want tough, physical, athletic guys uh either on either side of the center or snapping the ball him that themselves and and uh, the Linderbaum kid from Iowa the Tom kid from Wake Forest and the Parham kid from Memphis were three guys that I love their athletic ability I love their strength and point of attack I love their their lateral agility their the quick feet the hands um and just really overall intelligence and versatility you know Tom is a guy that's six five that you know has played at tackle that you know went inside this year because he was the best guy for the job um, so that, that's really intriguing to me. I love guys that have position versatility. So, you know, just to throw some names off there, those are some guys I'll be looking at to hopefully fall on into day two for us. Um, you know, not sure fire first round picks. I, I wouldn't say guys that would probably be there if, if we, you know, said our prayers and, and, uh, everything, you know, fell the right way. And for me, I, I don't you, think, you know, yeah. 
I don't think anyone left any, any players here. So, I mean, I'm going to go through <laughs> my board here and see who's who's still available. But I, I touched on the cornerback position. We talked about McCreary from Auburn. is a guy I'm, I'm really high on. Um, this kid, Trent McDuffie from Washington, 5'10", uh, 195 pounds, pretty good cover corner, very good uh, open field tackler. Again, for the Bears secondary, if, if you can tackle in college, I, I, I want you in the Bears secondary because we saw that, that tackling was an issue in the Bears secondary this past couple of seasons. So those are the guys at cornerback that I like. Uh, receiver, we mentioned Chris Olave. Um, uh, Neil touched on um, Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. I think he's a very underrated, uh, very underrated kid in terms of that receiver position. Um, you know, in terms of later on, David Bell is another guy I like a lot. Uh, and then Jahan Dotson, the, the little spark plug from Penn State, you know, quick twitch guy, a guy that gives you, again, that that speed element, the guy that can get the ball in his hands and he can make plays in the open field as well. In terms of the offensive line, um, again, you know, there's this kid, uh, Jackson Kirkland out of Washington, 6'6", six, 6'3", six, six, left tackle, all all pack 12 kid. Uh, he's a guy that if, if he's there in a third round area, I, I think he's a guy you could bring. He plays with nastiness and some toughness to him as well. And for me, at least, uh, you know, left tackle is still a big question mark. And I think that's an, an area they need to quite, they need to secure, if, if not through the draft, through via, uh, via free agency as well. I got a question for both of you, and it comes down to philosophy. And this kind of this kind of goes with the question we got in the chat room about who uh, who you uh, who Danny and Neil's top pick for available GM candidates are. But I, I want to start with this though. We know Ryan Pace was very aggressive when it came to the draft, where if he saw a guy that he wanted, he had no problem kicking the can down the road and sacrificing picks in the future to get to what he wants today. Uh, if let's put your GM hat on, what would you prefer the new GM's philosophy be? with the draft whether it be you know trade back and try to accumulate a war chest or be aggressive and try to get the guy that you want um what do you what do you want the philosophy philosophy to be for the new gm and do any names ring a bell whenever you think about that philosophy uh neil i'll start with you and then danny jump in i love the idea of being aggressive to be honest with you guys i i absolutely am that type of person if i'm a gm i'm gonna be as aggressive as possible i'm gonna go and get the guys that i want and not allow anybody else to you know slide in before me um you know, think about it is you also don't want to cut off your nose to spite your face doing that either. You know, last year, I, you know, Danny and I were kind of pissed off, you know, day two when, you know, Pace gave up our other day two pick in order to get a guy that we didn't like. <laughs> and that, that was available for four weeks this year. So, um, you know, that, that that's one of those things where, you know, yeah, you got to be aggressive, but you got to do the right things as well. Um, you know, in, in terms of guys that I love for the GM job, um, you know, Ed Dodds to me, Knowing him personally, knowing how he operates, uh, the, the the couple years when I was a pro liaison down in Mississippi State, I couldn't think of any other guy that was as thorough uh, in terms of doing his job, asking the questions, being around for practice, watching the film, meeting with you know coaches and and support staff people, just getting the job done, finding out about players, you know, be, being a scout, you know, and and that's the thing about Ed Dawes is that you know when he was at Seattle, that was his reputation of being an absurdly, obscenely thorough, you know, scout that. Yeah, I mean, he really he he got he squeezed all the juice he could out of the fruit, right? So, um, you know, and and then you know, getting to know him as as a as a higher up guy in the front office there, uh, the number two guy at Indianapolis, I think he's you know a, a surefire, you know, easy easy target for the job. Um, outside of Ed Dodds, I like a guy that's already in house, Champ Kelly. I think Champ Kelly, you know, also being able to deal with him for a couple years down, you know, when I was at uh, Mississippi State, you know, he's a guy that's not going to walk in and own the room, but he's going to own the room if you know what I mean. Like he's not, he's he's not obnoxious, he's he's not authoritative, he's not boisterous, but you know, he has a kind of in, in intelligence and wherewithal about him to be able to, you know, uh, get the job done. I think, and you know, another guy that you know asked the right questions, that was about the right things, that you know understood what worked 
know, here in Chicago. Those are two guys that, you know, immediately off the, off the top of my head, I really kind of liked. I listened to Danny talk about Jeff Ireland the other day, and I was able to spend some time around his, him as well. Big fan of his. Um, you know, you know, again, former GM, like, like you said, Danny. And uh, I, I think that was, that was at Miami is where he was a GM at before he got to, to New Orleans. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, people have a lot of great things to say about him. If we can't get Ed Dodds, I want the guy that Ed Dodds recommends, and that's Morocco Brown. Right. You know, because you know that, you know, if, if Ed Dodds likes the, likes the way Morocco Brown does his job, he probably is doing something right. Um, outside of that, I, I thought it was really interesting right before we all went on today. Uh, uh, Joe Shane out of Buffalo came across the wire that he was going to be interviewing for the job. Uh, wasn't able to spend a whole lot of time around Joe Shane, but he's another one of those cerebral guys that that gets it. Uh, would not be upset about that one. Actually, I'm very happy that he's, you know, that he's being interviewed because he was actually a guy I thought of before this whole thing happened. And then two guys I haven't, they haven't been talked about with the bears yet, but just came up today. And one guy I just found out just came up uh, in, in terms of the giants job is Joe Hortiz with the Ravens. He's a director of player personnel, Ryan Cowden with the Titans, the vice president of player personnel are two guys that are very extremely well, well respected in organizations that are buttoned up that have done a really good job of, of uh, evaluating and finding talent. And again, like Ed Dodd's doing the due diligence and asking questions. Um, those, those guys to me are two that stand out that have not been talked about yet that I would like to see talked about. And then a couple of dark horses. I think Kevin Kelly from the chargers is a really interesting bet. Um, and, uh, uh, John Eric Sullivan from the Packers, you know, two guys that, uh, just in, in my dealings with them, I really like the way they go about their business. So those are, those are some names that pop off the top of my head outside of the ones that we've already talked about that, that really intrigued me. Well, for, for me, John, in terms of the, the, the mentality of a GM, I, I love aggressive GMs, but I also love GMs that like, like to recoup draft picks. I don't like to give, out, give away draft picks, although I'll tell you that I, I hate it. It, it. it makes my, my blood boil when draft picks are given away. However, if you see a difference maker at, at, the, at a key position on football field, for example, quarterback, edge rusher, left tackle, cornerback, uh, those are the positions. If you see a difference maker fall, you know, for example, last year, Justin Fields, you go up and you, you make that trade, you get that kind of player. But if there's an offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman, there's there's a defensive tackle, there's a running back. You can always kind of wait for those guys to kind of fall to you. But I do like guys who have the aggressive mentality, but also have the you know their future in mind in terms of you know keeping draft capital and always being able to recoup it somehow, some way. And in terms of the, some of the guys mentioned, I'm I'm, tell you, I'm very impressed by the names so far that they've put in requests for. My my top guy has been has been Rick Smith from the, from the uh, the former Texans uh, GM. Uh, he's a guy that that built that uh, Houston franchise basically from the ground up as an expansion team. Uh, you know, it went to I think four division. They won the division four times out there. Uh, unfortunately, had to leave due to some uh, you know, some medical issues with his wife. Uh, gave up that position. He's been out of football for about two or three years. But you notice once he left, that Houston organization just was downhill from there. So so that's a guy that's that's top of my list right now is is, is Rick Smith. Uh, Jeff Ireland, Neil talked about it. I talked about him on, on our previous shows. He's a guy that I've, I've dealt with before. Uh, very, very smart guy. I think he had a raw deal in Miami back in back in uh, 2008. I remember he was he was the guy who asked uh, Des Bryant if uh, if his mom was a prostitute. And I think that just kind of blew up on him. It was just part of the just just part of the the, the background stuff. And and, and that's this is uh, that kind of just you know took a life of his own. And I think he got a raw deal. But if you take a look at his his body of work. He's been with the Saints since 2017. Take a look at those Saints draft picks, those draft classes. That's been all Jeff Ireland. So if you want to talk about scouting and, and plucking players later on in the draft, finding undrafted free agents, Jeff Ireland's a guy that can, that can come in here and do a good job for you as well. And, and I'm a big fan of Ed Dodds as well. So th those, those three guys right there are my, are my top three. 
Uh, we do have another question from the chat room from Tony Moy. He says, do you draft a middle linebacker to play alongside Smith or some depth on the defensive line? Uh, I don't, you don't have to go into too much depth on this, but what would your decision making be in this? Neil, I'll start with you. Jenny, jump in. Yeah, yes and yes, uh, to put it simply. You know, inside linebacker was a position that I really hope that we made a, a decision at and found a guy last year, to be honest with you. Now, Ogletree did a really good job of, you know, jumping in in lieu of uh, Danny Trevathan with him, you know, being in and out of, of uh, you know, ability, uh, availability. But, uh, you know, the thing about it is, I mean, this is Trevathan's last year with the Bears, probably his last year playing football, to be honest with you. If you, if you watch the, the way the guy plays, he had a – you know, better year this year than they did last year, but still not good enough in terms of, you know, being able to hang in there and be a, a highly productive player. So uh, inside linebacker would probably be sixth on my list in terms of importance. Um, uh, interior defensive line, obviously, you know, Hicks is on the, you know, the chopping block. Bilal Nichols is also on the chopping block. Hopefully they go in and uh, are able to figure out a way to re-sign him in the offseason. You know, 25-year-old that really had a breakout year in, in, in a lot of respects, I feel. And then uh, you, you look what else is in that room. Goldman's there. Mario Edwards is still there for another year. Angelo Blackson's there for one more year. I think we have a good quality group of guys in that room at that at that particular you know set of positions that uh, you know we, you can really make some things happen. Can Goldman stay healthy? You know that's always a question. Can he stay healthy? Can he keep his mind right? Um, you know we all know Hicks has had his issues with with injuries, and that's really you know ha uh, hamstrung our defense for the past couple of years, and and so that's obviously bothersome. It's literally like. You know, Joe Kim Noah at the, at the end of his time with the Bulls being, you know, held together by duct tape. I mean, it's it 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 sucks to to see it happen to such a great player that has that really bears the heart and soul of what this defense has been since his time here. Um, so, but uh, you know, in in terms of interior defensive line, you know, if you can find a guy that falls to you, I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't go out of my way, even though I'd go out of my way to trade up and get one, even though there there are a handful of guys I really like. Um, you know, I, I think we saw two of those guys play at a really high level the other night on Monday. But, uh, you know, that, it's not a deep group this year, in my opinion. Um, I wouldn't break the bank to try and get one. They're probably all going between, you know, pick one and pick 38. <laughs> so, um, you know, see what you can get there. Edge-wise, I feel comfortable there. Uh, Mac obviously has his injury issues, but Robert Quinn's wrapped up for a couple more years. Uh, Travis Gibson's coming on, and, you know, he's wrapped up for a couple more years. Yeah, a couple more bodies in that room as well. So that would be a, a position group further on down the way. Maybe, maybe you know, for depth, you, you try and snag a guy on day three with that sixth round pick. But, uh, you know, um, I think between those two positions, inside linebacker is probably where I go if, if, if I have my drillers. See, for me, it's the opposite because I'm a, I'm a trenches guy. I, I think everything's built in the trenches. And depending on what we do here in terms of defense, who's the defensive coordinator? Is it going to be a 3-4 scheme? Is it going to be a 4-3 scheme? If it's going to be a 4-3 scheme, I mean, you have the ends to play 4-3. If you bring him back Bilal Nichols, I think he could play a, a three technique. You know, he's got the quickness and, and ability to get shoot that gap and get upfield. So it all kind of depends. But, yeah, if I had to pick between a middle linebacker or a defensive lineman, it's always going to be a defensive lineman for me because everything starts up front. If you have a weak defensive line, I don't care if you have great linebackers, uh, they're going to get exposed because those those uh, offense linemen are going to be able to release and get upfield and get on those those linebackers and block them out. So uh, if, if I had to pick between those two positions, I'd, I'd pick a defensive lineman uh, first with the draft. And obviously I can always go in and fill in a linebacker with, with a veteran Frazier like Alec Ogletree. Maybe you can bring him back. Again, depending on if you're playing a 4-3 system, if you're playing 4-3, you're probably going to have Will Cronsmith playing middle linebacker, 92 outside linebackers, traditional outside linebackers, a weak side and a strong side. So all kind of it's all kind of in flux right now. But 
But yeah, just just by going off position, the, the way I like to build my football team, for me, it's all up front, and I'd go defensive line first. Yeah, all things being equal, one hundred percent. I'm always going to be on, on that you know train of thought. It, it's always about the trenches first. And then you know the fun thing about all this is that all these thoughts that we have about all these players could easily be tossed up in the air over the course of the next three weeks, depending on who they <laughs> sign, who you know, who they hire as a head coach. You know, because you know. Yeah. It, it really all depends on what kind of schemes are going to be brought in and who the, they prefer as personnel and what kind of things we're going to be looking for. So it, it's going to be interesting to, to watch these these uh, interviews uh, you know, unfold. Absolutely. And uh, before we before we cut you guys loose, a lot of great dra- draft info here, and this is only barely scratching the surface. Uh, Danny, start us off. Tell us how what your schedule guys what your schedule is looking like for Draft on Tap. How people can listen to it, how they can interact with you, and then Neil, jump in with any additional information there. Yeah, we're excited to get get going. Neil and I, like I said, this this is our this is our time right now. This is our off season. It's draft season. Uh, we got our first show is scheduled to be on January 26th. You'll find us here on on, on the channel here, and at, at 8 p.m. Central is when we kick it off. And then uh, after that, we're going to start previewing the uh, the East West Shrine Game, and we're going to start previewing the Senior Bowl as well. Uh, Neil and I are going to be able to scout some of those players at both those. Uh, uh, all-star games and, and break those down for you specifically. Uh, obviously, we're going to have our you know, our, you know normal you know list of great guests that can you know give us some of that uh, you know expertise in terms of outside you know and if, if we're doing Southeast Conference, if we're doing ACC, so on and so forth. So uh, look forward to another great year of just breaking it down. And we're, we're going to be a little bit different this year. We're, we're going to be a little more specific to Bears Bears needs. So hopefully by then we'll we'll have a, a GM in place. We'll have a head coach and a coaching staff you know mostly in place, and we'll kind of know in what direction the Bears are going. And then Neil and I are going to be uh, let loose by Aldo there just to go in and find the best players for these Bears uh, in in the uh, in the draft order that they have coming up. Yeah, Danny, you you pretty much hammered it, man. I mean, outside of that, like you see our uh, our, our Twitter handles right there. Hit us up, give us a follow, follow along with us this uh, this pre-draft process. Uh, ask us questions. Um, you know, throw throw feelers out there, throw suggestions out there. Um, if you guys want to hear any specific guests, if you want us to talk about any specific, you know, players or whatever the case may be, you know, throw that out to us and and, and especially the players part, so that we have some time to actually you know get some good film and, and break those guys down. But yeah, I mean, going, you know, going into uh, All-Star Week with the uh, East-West game and Senior Bowl, we're going to have all the film, you know, coming straight to us, which is the same thing that we did last year because we weren't able to actually be at the game. We're not going this year either. Hopefully 2023 is a different way. Hopefully we're able, get, we're able to get down to Mobile, all three of us, and we can get you some player interviews, do some live stuff, and, you know, have a lot of fun with it. But, uh, you know, this year we'll do the same way as last year in terms of just watching the film, giving some good evals, talking about uh, Bears' needs, and – uh Rocking and rolling, man. Continuing the continuing the uh, the possible momentum. Excellent stuff. Draft on tap. And a must listen. If you if you're if you love the draft, you gotta listen to Draft on Tap. Danny Shimon, Neil Stopchinski, thank you so much for being a part of this the end of the year show on Buffone 55. Good luck to you. Your journey's just starting. Ours is yep. winding down. Yours yep. is just starting. Thank you so much, and we will talk to you down the road. Appreciate thank you guys. That. Have a good night. We'll be back with more Buffone 55 right after this. It just pisses me off to the fact, like, to no end to see him on another team when he should still be with the Hawks. uh, Rocky Wirt should call Stan Bowman and just remind him that he's still fired because of that trade. Just call him up, Stan, how you doing? How's the family? Oh, by the way, just so you know, you're still fired. And he's Uh, so good, dude. and, uh, And it made me laugh when Panarin was on the Hawks. He's only good because of Kane. Are you stupid? Did Kane ever have 100 points before Panarin came along? What the hell are you talking about? 
So, yeah. I don't know. That used to piss me off, too. And I'm happy that when they did trade him, he proved that it wasn't because of Patrick Kane. And I think every no normal, rational Blackhawks fan would agree with me on that, saying that they're happy seeing him have success without Patrick Kane because Artemi Panarin deserves his props as well. Oh, yeah. And it's not his fault he was traded. You can't hate Panarin because oh, the no, end of the Hawks no, is an no, idiot. No, no. Yeah. I don't hate Panarin. Oh, yeah. Well, I love Panarin. Bowman lost three trades involving Brandon Saad. Not one, not two, three. I love Panarin because he gets in. You could tell he's passionate. Like he's throwing gloves over at Brad Marsh. I love yeah. this guy. Welcome back to Buffone 55, and it wouldn't be a true Buffone 55 unless we ended the show with Buffone's basement. That's where Alyssa and I open the cellar door, we walk down the stairs, and we dump a big old bucket of ice water over Aldo Gandia, who inevitably has fallen asleep in his recliner by now, watching his favorite Angela Lansbury mystery. Aldo, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> Holy cow, you know Angela Lansbury? Oh, who doesn't know Murder, She Wrote, man? Yeah, That's well, I classic. dated her in the 50s. <laughs> <laughs> you were both in college. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. What a sensational show with great guests and, and outstanding pacing to it. And just by reading the comments in the chat room, people are really thrilled with what you've uh, put together, both you and Alyssa here, for this uh, finale for the season. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, th this is a good way to go out. I wanted to bring everybody who was part of the season programming and then kind of usher in the, what the program is going to look like moving forward. So we bring the draft on tap guys on to let them know that we got you covered. Even in the offseason, we'll have you cover for what the Bears are going to do in the draft, what they're going to do in the offseason. So uh, the programming's not stopping. Uh, I mean, this is our end of the season wrap up here, but we ain't going anywhere. So make sure that you're still subscribing to that bar room network. Uh, but Aldo, I'm bringing you on. You did a good job moderating the Bear debate, but now I got to get some opinions from you and uh, obviously from Alyssa as well as we go around Buffon's basement. I want to start with the Ryan Pace firing because although you have been calling, you actually changed my mind on this. You've been calling for this for longer than almost anyone I know, as far as Pace need to go. Um, was this just, uh, was this, was this just affirmation to you that you've been calling this for a long time and it was just something that needed to be done and you were just relieved, happy, joyous. What was the, what were the emotions there? Yeah. And again, it's always, you know, it's always tough when you are, praying for somebody to get fired. Right. <laughs> but he is a multimillionaire, I, I'm assuming, and uh, and so I'm sure he's going to get a, a great job somewhere down the line. He clearly has some talents as a general manager. My, my concerns about him was just that he allowed himself to get kind of pushed around by the McCaskey family. When you are told you know, that you've got to keep Jay Cutler because the story is, is that Chris Ballard came in and interviewed for the job. And he said, the first thing I will do is release Jay Cutler, which meant having to suck up tens of millions of dollars of his contract. And Mr. McCaskey said, well, that's not going to work. And so uh, Ryan Pace was forced to deal with Jay Cutler for those two years and then was told that John Fox is the best coach. And that was not Ryan Pace's uh, choice to be the head coach. So 
when you are allowed to kind of be pushed around by management that way, then you're not the right person for the job. You, ju you just are not because you've got a position like that. And management should know this. A position like that, you've got to bring in somebody with a vision who has then a plan to execute that vision, and then you let that person go. And, uh, and and so that is is the problem. Now, the good thing is I heard Dave wants that say during uh, the after game show on NBC Sports Chicago. He says this is still a really good job for a general manager because you're not going to have an owner who is going to come into your office and say, why did you run that play? Why did you call that formation? And he was clearly talking about Jerry Jones. Uh, and so the, the Bears offer that, which should make it appealing to some top-notch general managers. So I'm happy uh, that the job is still going to appear to be appealing for people, and I'm glad that Ryan Pace is, is, has learned here over the seven years, and I, I wouldn't doubt it if he's going to have success as a uh, pro player personnel person, a drafts uh, personnel person, uh, because he he's he wasn't a complete idiot as uh, unlike some other general managers we've had in the past. <laughs> yeah, and one of the one of the big things that they always preached about was the culture and the culture that Matt Nagy and you know the players liked them and they 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 liked the culture that those two brought, even though it wasn't a winning and winning culture, it was a culture. So, Alyssa, I. I I didn't get to read the full transcript or see the uh, see the interview or anything about James Daniels saying it was a fun atmosphere playing for the Chicago Bears and uh, how you know Miss Matt Nagy and all that stuff. Does that kind of feed into it? This like this was he was maybe too much of a player's coach or he didn't like want to ruffle anyone's feathers or hold anyone accountable. Uh, what do you, what was your take from that? Yeah, no, no. I think we talked about it earlier in the show. I think that we both agree that I think the Bears need someone that's going to be you know, a little tougher with the players because that's the thing that you hear about Nagy was that the players loved him. You had club dub. It was fun. And yeah, that works in 2018 when you're winning football games. But when you have 2019 and 2020 and now 2021 where you are at 500 or below, it's just not getting the job done and something needs to change. So, I mean, that's a, it's interesting that you mentioned that maybe too much because he, yeah, James Daniels, I, I heard it. I listened to it on the score or ESPN 1000, one of those, like the whole exchange. And he was kind of talking about his time at Iowa and like the difference between, you know, like a winning culture and then him having fun with Nagy. And that was like the main thing he focused on was that they had fun. Obviously, most of the fun's going to come when you're winning games. But, you know, it does, does sound like Nagy didn't really hold people accountable. And that's, I think, what the Bears need at head coach. And that's why we've been high on someone like Jim Harbaugh because we we know that's exactly the kind of coach he is. He's going to do that. That's he needs some of that tough love sometimes because we talk about this culture that this bit that the Bears you know want you know want and we we think that winning right winning is the culture, not just like having fun and you know people being nice guys. Which apparently the McCaskies think that's a great culture. So I mean I think we need someone that's going to hold these players accountable and get accountable and get the most out of them. So. I mean, I think to kind of sum up your question, I do think Nagy was probably a little too nice. Uh, and again, that works in 2018. It did not work uh, his final three years, which is ultimately why he's not here. Yeah, and if I can add to that, you know, the the whole issue of being buddy-buddy with players, I mean, you have to be really careful with that because once you, you know, become too friendly with your, so to speak, employees, 
they can start to kind of take advantage of you a little bit. And in the game of football, where you got all these alpha males, they can really take advantage of you. If you go back to uh, when Tressman was here and Lance Briggs on the first day of training camp asked for permission to go to the opening of his rib restaurant in San Francisco and missed the first couple of days of practice. That's the kind of culture that you don't want. And it just seemed like Matt Nagy extended that to some degree with the players. And I'm not saying that you can't have a fun culture and, uh, and not be a tough coach. You can have both, but you have to have it's a it's a very delicate balance. You've got to make sure that everybody is accountable. And one of the salient points that George McCaskey made at that press conference was that he saw in game one against the Rams, a defensive back, not touched down a wide receiver who had caught a long pass, not touch him down and secured a tackle. And he saw the same thing from a different defensive back in week 17. That's how the season was bookended. And that is a, a, a squarely pointing the, the finger at the coaching staff. You just cannot have your players do that. And Aldo, you, I believe, tweeted something out about James Daniels, did you not? About how, because uh, we talked about this um, weeks ago, and I think we were both supportive on maybe giving him another chance if the price was right. Uh, did that change your opinion, or do you think a new coach can change his mentality? Yeah, I, I think a new coach can change his mentality, but, you know, it, it does worry me a little bit when a, you know, I, I think the biggest issue, and I hate to keep coming back to this, but I think. Uh, in today's day and age, players, coaches, owners, everybody needs a little bit of media training so that when Mark Potash, he was the one that got this interview, you know, he had oh, yeah. the Zoom call. Mark was asking these questions and he just made James Daniels look ignorant. And, and that's not really what James Daniels is. And so I, I kind of apologize for, for my tweet. You know, I, I was a little uh, taken aback by it and I instantly put that out. I probably shouldn't have phrased it that way. But I, I, it, it, it is incumbent on every organization to really value the importance of communication. I mean, all three of us know that. We, we're all in that business. And we know that communication is generally the lifeblood of any organization and that you've got to communicate with the external public in an effective way and then with the internal staff in a very, very effective way. That's the players. That's the employees and so forth. And it just seems like the Chicago Bears fail at both of those, uh, given what we have seen result-wise and seen and, and heard with our eyes and ears. And Alyssa, I can't believe I haven't asked you this, but you're a Michigan fan, right? I am. So <laughs> I was I was I don't know how I have I have failed. I have failed our <laughs> listeners. I have failed this network by not asking what would be your feelings if Jim Harbaugh left Michigan. But went to the Bears. Like, what, what would be what would be going on in your head there? Because he he's I don't know. Michigan's probably never going to get another coach quite like him, or at least take them to the point they got to, at least not in the near future. But then again, he could be the guy who gets the Bears to the Super Bowl at some point. What what dynamic is there? An angel on one shoulder, a devil on the other? What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, there is because they're my two top teams. Uh, obviously, the Bears being number one and Michigan's number two. But I, I was having this conversation on other podcasts that I do for USA Today. And the only way that I want Jim Harbaugh leaving Michigan is if he comes to the Bears. Like, that's the only reason. Like, I could forgive that. But if he goes to, like, the Raiders or something, I'm going to be pissed off. 
So, I mean, it is like an angel on one and devil on the other, but because I put the bears higher and I, I think that, and it's weird to say this, but because I think the bears have a better chance of winning a Super Bowl than Michigan has of winning a national championship. When you look at the SEC and the talent, you know, obviously we'll see because Michigan had a successful season this year. So you're starting to see some of the, more of those four or five star recruits, you know, committing to the team. And so I don't know, maybe things change in a, in a while, but I think that that was maybe the closest Michigan is going to get in a while. So, I, I mean, again, if Harbaugh comes to the Bears, that's the only way I want him leaving Michigan, not leaving. <laughs> well, what about yeah. Matt Nagy going to Michigan? Oh, dear God. Don't do that to me. <laughs> that made me cringe. I'm not even a Michigan fan. <laughs> uh -oh. I think, though, he could be a good college coach because he's got kind yeah. of had, you know, rah rah attitude, but maybe that's not a good thing not after listening to James Daniels kind of botch that response to that question. <laughs> now, I think he could be a successful no. college coach. I don't know if he's going to go right into a Michigan style job. I believe he went to the no. University of Delaware. I don't know what their coaching staff. <laughs> is like but i could see him taking over at one of those small division one schools making a name for himself and then maybe trying to you know uh lily pad that into another uh into another job so to speak so that could be his route um i i thought as soon as this uh harbaugh stuff came out i thought oh man he's he's doing the james franklin but on a much bigger scale where they're that his agent leaks out that james franklin is connected to every job ever and every year so he gets an extension or he gets a raise and so you know forever james franklin's connected to the usc job or he's connected to this job or that job and then penn state's like oh wait here's a hundred million dollars and so uh i think that harbaugh sees this the, the uh some of the money being shelled out uh, by USC, uh, by by some of these big programs going out and poaching coaches, uh, and uh, whatever Brian Kelly's getting paid to coach at LSU, and uh, so he's so good. Yeah, Mel Tucker getting paid nine what ninety five million dollars or whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah, so and and that makes Bears fans' head explode given to what the defense in Chicago looked like whenever Mel Tucker was in charge of it. But uh, um, it's it's one of those things where it's like go ahead and leak out that I'm interested in going to the NFL leak out because I don't think Harbaugh would want it leaked out that he's interested in another college job because I don't think first of all he doesn't no one would believe that because I think that it's Michigan or bust for Harbaugh for the most part mm -hmm. uh but so he said go ahead and leak out that I'm interested in maybe coaching in the NFL again so you leak that out and then Michigan comes back and says whoa how's a 10-year extension for 120 million dollars sound like oh okay now we're talking business so I think this was kind of a ploy for Jim Harbaugh the entire time um I don't Who's the, who's to say though? He is an eccentric fella. He could be he could be coaching the Jaguars by uh, by you know next year. Wouldn't that be fitting? He could have, yeah, he uh, never he could never never beat Urban Meyer at Ohio State, so he's going to take his job in Jacksonville. So. Or he can come to Chicago and, co and coach Justin Fields, who he knows he he helps succeed. Right? He yes. put him in a good position to succeed. Obviously on the other yeah. sideline, but yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I think it would be a great hire. I just don't think it's one of those pie in the sky things where it's it's nice to talk about, but you just you, you never think. I remember I remember way back when I think it was before maybe it was like as Lovey Smith was about to leave or or maybe it was during Lovey's tenure where it was like the last two or three years where people were thought that he might get fired or they should move on from him. Every off season, Bill Cower's name got thrown out as far as like, could Cower yeah. come coach for the bears? Could, could would Cower come coach for the bears? Now it's just one of those pie in the sky things. It's really nice to talk about, but you don't know if it's ever actually going to happen. And obviously that didn't, and I don't think this will either. Uh, so um, that being said, 
I know we haven't gotten into a real detailed, uh, you know, evaluation of this, but who are the names that jump out to you guys? Although I'll start with you as far as throw me a name of the GM or throw me a name of a head coach. You think like, man, wouldn't be angry at all if that guy was the new GM or uh, head coach of the Chicago Bears. Yeah, I think you got to look at the guys at Indianapolis. Those two names, uh, Dodds and uh, Morocco Brown, are two very, very intriguing candidates. And you know, it's always hard for us people to to make evaluations of these candidates because we haven't talked to them. Uh, and so our opinion is based on the results of their team and also based uh, on seeing them interviewed. And I've seen some interviews with both of those guys. Both are just so, so impressive. And um, so I'd love that kind of progressive uh, thinking and, and, you know, so the question then would be, well, then are you basically bringing in another Ryan pace? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, but that, that is the gamble, but in, from the coaching standpoint, you know what, I, I I'm struggling with a name from the coaching standpoint. There just isn't anybody out of all that long list. Let me get that scroll that I, I stole from, uh <laughs> all of these names are compiled by <laughs> Alyssa on bearswire.com just great job there but you know Todd Bowles perhaps but then I'm I'm afraid that if you bring in a guy who's 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 uh, expertise is defense then what are you doing with Justin Fields are you going to bring in an offensive coordinator and then they have success and then he's gone and so forth so would it be nice to have a, a, an offensive minded coach uh, Nathaniel Hackett is somebody that I don't like. Uh, Byron Leftwich is someone who is an intriguing candidate, but is he, you know, is he a, a product of Tom Brady? It, it's a tough call. So from a coach's standpoint, I'm still struggling with that. But from a GM standpoint, I'm sold on either Dodds or Brown from from the Colts. But you, Lisa. Yeah, that GM candidate list is very impressive. Uh, I think it's like I feel more confident about that than head coach and exactly the guys that Aldo was mentioning up there in Indianapolis with Ed Dodds and Morocco Brown. I mean, there's someone that's they they work with Chris Ballard. They're both you know essentially like right hand right hand men <laughs> to him, so they have a lot of experience, kind of seeing how the job's done. And a big part of the success of that team, especially Morocco Brown, someone who has a really good eye for talent. And you could say, I agree that obviously Dobbs does as well. Um, and kind of like to go off what Aldo was saying about head coach. I mean, you kind of look at some of these right now. And I mean, the two that really stick out would probably be Brian Flores. I think he's probably at the top of my list if I have to pick. And Brian Dable. Uh, again, whether or not, like my concern with, um, with Brian Flores would just be, can he get the right staff in place? Right. Can he keep an offensive coordinator? Can he hire the right people? Because developing Justin Fields should be a main pri priority, obviously. Uh, but Brian, I just still can't believe that the Dolphins fired him because he's someone where we talk about, you know, you want a coach that's going to be tough and hold people accountable. And I think Brian Flores is that guy. So, I mean, sign me up for that. But again, the big thing when he gets in the room, which I think he's interviewing on Saturday or or sometime this weekend you know, he needs to be able to have a staff ready. Like, so who are you going to bring? Like, you have to have a plan for Justin Fields. So that's what I would be most concerned with. I want to make sure because people talk about Tua and him, like, not having the success. But, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I don't think they're the same quarterback, right? I think Fields has a higher, much higher ceiling. So, I mean, just the idea of, like, Flores and Fields and 
especially if he gets the right coaches in place, that could be really fun and exciting. And, you know, Brian Dable is someone who has success developing a quarterback. You look at what Josh Allen was before when everyone thought he was going to be a bust and look at what has happened now. And, you know, even to kind of look at what Dable did with the, with the Bills offense, they, he likes to run the football <laughs> like Matt Nagy. Like, mm-hmm. so he's not going to be, you know, allergic to running the ball when he needs to. And, developing field so but again with a you know a first time head coach and Dable you know it's going to be about the staff that he assembles so and there is the, the personal connection too with the Bears so I mean we'll see but I'd probably say Flores and then Dable would be my top two coaches coaches at this point. John Omar Khan has been added to that list you're in the Pittsburgh area yep. what do you hear about him? I love Omar Khan and and, and he's one and uh, and Dodds is one a those are my two Dodds and, and Omar Khan Omar Khan has been with the Pittsburgh Steelers since 2001 he has been and he has been so he's been there for over 20 years and he's been promoted throughout that entire time football administration coordinator director of football administration vice president of football and business administration in a perfect world in an absolutely we'll call it narnia or whatever you want to call it omar khan would be the new ted phillips because he he is perfect for that and i just feel like omar khan has been learning from this stable franchise for two decades, learning under under Kevin Colbert, who has been as stable as it gets as far as a GM, with an ownership group as stable as it gets with the Rooney family, also family-owned, the Bears are family-owned, so he could bring some of that culture over to, to Chicago to say, this is what we should be doing. This is what you should have been doing for the last 40 years. This is how we've been doing things in Pittsburgh. So that would be a real nice breath of fresh air. Uh, now, Colbert is uh, supposedly retiring after this year. So I don't know if Khan would just be using this as leverage with the Steelers to say, hey, I might leave. You might want to give me this GM job and give me a real nice bonus to go along with it. it I mean, everything is leverage. If you have other offers, then someone's going to pay more to keep you. So uh, just like we were talking about with Harbaugh. So I don't know if Omar Khan would want to even leave Pittsburgh if he has the potential to be the general manager there, or if they want to elevate him to another position. So um, I don't know how realistic it, not realistic it might be, but I think that he'd be a great candidate. Dodds seems like a no nonsense guy. Uh, I think I was reading a, about a time that he was interviewing or a conversation he was having, where it's like, he wasn't here to win wildcard games. Like he was upset that they only made the wildcard round or he wasn't there and all this other stuff. So he's a guy that absolutely wants to win. So those are my one and one a uh, candidates for GM, um, I just I saw I just saw a question in the chat room. What leverage Negi can use? <laughs> um, <laughs> ooh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, that's you know what we'll have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to noodle that a little bit. Um, but uh, as far as as far as head coaches go, the only thing that does concern me about Flores is it was such a shock that he was fired. So what? actually was going on there what was the relationship like there there's rumors that he uh he and Tua weren't getting along and uh maybe him and the GM weren't getting along or maybe he and the head coaching staff weren't getting along or whatever it was whatever the dynamic was I, I want to know because he was doing a good job when it comes to the tangible results of wins and losses um but what actually went on is is he is he going to be tough to work with and so um we'll see plus he's a defense he's kind of a more of a defensive mind and Alyssa, much like you said make sure you have the right staff to actually uh facilitate a, a young quarterback and like i i've been saying this 
forever. You don't need I don't think you need to have an offensive person. I, I think you just need to have a really good, strong head coach who knows how to build a staff. So I, I do like Todd Bowles. I think that uh, no one was going to succeed with that roster in, in New, uh, New York when he was there. Uh, I think his first year, they still won 10 games. Um, and he does have a good philosophy of being able to cater his game plan to specific opponents. Um, so I, I wouldn't hate that. Uh, the, but there, there's question marks. Much like you were saying, Aldo, there's question marks with a lot of these guys. Is Nathaniel Hackett a product of LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers? Is Byron Leftwich a hot name because of Tom Brady? Although Bruce Arian speaks very, very highly of Byron Leftwich, uh, as far as he's he says Byron kind of takes care of everything. I think he, he was quoted in saying Byron is the guy. And he, he, take, so he takes Andy care of the other. <laughs> yeah 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 so I, I can see why he would say that because he wants this guy to get a head coach job that's like that's like that one guy you put on your or the one person you put on your reference list that you know is just going to just over is just exaggerate everything you've ever done it's like oh yeah use that person as a reference they're gonna they're, they'll be great uh so i can see bruce arian sticking up for his guy like that but um I, i'm not blown away by any of the candidates where I got to say they have to go get that guy. Um, but I think that there's strengths to a lot of them. Um, I think you have to get the GM hired first though. I, I agree with uh, Aaron Lemming, who was on what seems, what sounds like three hours ago. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I agree with him. Like the, the process should be hire the GM and don't say, Hey, we hired a coach. You're the GM. Make it work. I think the GM should have at least be on a phone call or should at least be in those discussions to see who his head coach is going to be because he's going to be the one constructing the roster. He wants to know what the strengths of his head coach are and what his coach's philosophy is going to be. So if the head coach runs a 4-3 defense and uh, you bring in the GM, it's just like, oh, I really wish we could run a 3-4 because that's what we have and that's what I kind of want is going to go after in the draft. You gotta have, I think you gotta have the GM in the, on those conversations. So um not blown away by anyone. Yeah. If I can add regarding Brian Flores, the the Miami Herald's uh, columnist, sports columnist Barry Jackson wrote a really good column uh on Tuesday, and he said that there were plenty of players who liked and admired Flores, but his arrogance and bristling personality rubbed some players the wrong way. A close associate of multiple young Dolphins said the players complained to him about that. He doesn't understand dealing with men. He's not approachable. Here's an, an example. There was a young player who came into Flores' office, and Flores immediately told him, don't come to my office talking about playing time. That player had no such intentions to talk about playing time. And so that's the kind of behavior from Flores that got him a bad rep down in Miami and may have led to his firing because apparently he was behaving that way too with his general manager. You know what's interesting about that, Aldo, is that there? I think there's been similar opinions or maybe thought process around a lot of those guys that come from the bill belichick tree yeah belichick does come off as that sometimes but he also has won a ton of super bowls and he's been around the nfl forever the same things could have been said about matt patricia whenever he was with detroit uh, the same thing could be said about Joe judge who just got fired from new york where he was obviously quite arrogant and to the point where it was laughable in some of his press conferences and the same thing coming out about Flores now about the, the you know, hard to deal with maybe. Uh, now 
I have no problem with someone being abrasive and maybe shaking up the mold. Uh, but but uh, there's there's a difference between a good shakeup and then just stonewalling people and not and not understanding the makeup of a team. So I uh, I have a little bit. I, that's where I have a little bit of my apprehension there. He has he gets he got results with Miami. They didn't win any. They didn't win a championship or anything. But they they did. Uh, you know, win games they probably shouldn't have won, especially whenever they were supposedly tanking last year and they won a lot more games than they thought that they were going to win. So he does have the ability to win football games. Um, does that translate into sustainable success for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years? Uh, I don't know. So I hope that the I hope that this crew is doing their due diligence around that because you don't want a guy that's going to come in and all of a sudden the players hate him. And I'm not saying the players have to be in love with him much like the, they don't have to be like a, the Matt Nagy type where it's just like, buddy, buddy, let's go grab beers with the coach. But it also needs to be a guy where that, you know, you can, you can go to like, I, I keep bringing Mike Tomlin up and I, I don't mean to, but he's just the first name that pops into my head where it's just like, I don't think if you walk over to Mike Tomlin's office, he's going to say, don't bring up playing time. He's going to, he's going to listen to you. At least he's going to give you a raw, genuine, unfiltered answer about a lot of things. But he's at least going to listen to you first. Yeah. So I think that, that I, I think that's that's a big thing. So I think I hope that they do their due diligence on this. I think Bill Polian's probably there more for the GM uh, search than he is for the head coach. Now I don't know. Maybe he's maybe he's a big part of the head coach as well. But uh, hmm. um, I think that, that they they need to do a lot of background on these people to make sure that they get a guy who's going to change the culture, but not change the culture like joe judge did where yeah. it's you're, you're you're going on the defensive all the time talking about it's not a clown show franchise and then you just embarrass the hell out of your franchise when you can't win any games and you're talking about how people are calling you up saying i we wish we were still playing with the giants he's like like yeah like former players are really calling him and saying i wish i still played for the giants looking at how bad that franchise is run you're like oh man coach judge i wish i wouldn't have taken more money and i wish i was playing for your crappy team that never that could not have happened like that did not happen like let's let's be real what players are gonna be like i gotta call i gotta call up uh coach judge and just let him know that i regret my bigger contract with a different team whenever they're they're flourishing in uh in new york so um yeah i think that i think that there needs to be a lot of research that goes beyond scheme philosophy i think personality plays a big part in this much like that it wasn't at Matt Nagy that they they he, he ended up doing like a, a media tryout or something like that and they liked it so much that that was a big reason why or didn't the Bears do like mock interviews with some of their uh, with some of their candidates at some point did I remember that correctly Phil Emery uh, was ah, uh, yeah during that period they were they were when they were looking for somebody they were asked to do mock press conferences uh, uh, and Bill Arians kind of scoffed at that what what the hell am I going to do that so mm. that didn't endear him with the uh, with McCaskey and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, that's happened. You know, Matthew asks, uh, what about uh, Doug Peterson? Peterson, uh, what do you guys think about that name? Go ahead, Alyssa. <laughs> I'll let you go first. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, if they, if you were tell, telling me Doug Peterson or, like, Eric Bieniemy were talking, you know, Andy Reid coaching tree, I would feel more comfortable with Peterson because, you know, he has had success. He has won a Super Bowl, and he's shown – I mean, he, he got some pretty good years out of Carson Wentz and now kind of look at him now. Uh, and somehow the Colts were able to trade for him. Still don't mm. understand that. But uh, so, I mean, I would, <clears throat> I think I would take Peterson probably over someone like Eric Bieniemy, which it's interesting that 
Um, surprised that they haven't put in an interview request for him. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I've seen. There might be one team that has for Bienemy. So, uh, yeah. But I'm not gonna lie. Andy Reid coaching tree kind of scares me. Obviously, with coming off Matt Nagy, still got PTSD from that. But I mean, someone like Peterson, it's it would be like a safe hire, I think. You know, if they because you know he obviously he has had coaching experience. Experience. He's had success. Heck, he was even hanging out at Hallis Hall during training camp with Nagy and with Justin Fields last mm-hmm. summer. So, I mean. I mean, I wouldn't, he wouldn't be at the top of my list, but I wouldn't be like really angry about it either. Yeah. My problem is that uh, Justin Fields and Jalen Hurts are very similar quarterbacks and Peterson did not do a good job with Jalen Hurts. Uh, So, you know, what evidence do we have that he can succeed with a quarterback with those unique skills? Yeah, I like that he has head coaching experience. I like that he got a lot out of that Philadelphia Eagles team whenever they did make that Super Bowl run. Uh, much like that, though, they were a flash in the pan. They they ended up winning the Super Bowl, and they, everyone talked about, you know, I forget which Eagles player said it, but it's like I'd rather, you know, have fun and win one than, you know, like do things in New England way or something like that. I forget. It was, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, of course. But uh, what was the what was the was it a lax attitude with Doug Peterson as well that does not keep players accountable and uh, eventually gets them complacent and nothing gets you more complacent than winning a Super Bowl. So we saw that happen in Philadelphia a little quicker. Uh, but I do like that he has head coach experience. I, I'm sure. I don't want to keep dumping on the Andy Reid system because it has succeeded, but it succeeded with Andy Reid. And so uh, I, I don't know. I was when we were talking about this last year, I was gung ho about Eric Bieniemy coming to Chicago if if uh, if, um, if Matt Nagy was released last year. I always reserve the right to change my mind, and I'm changing my mind with that. Uh, and I and I'm also hesitant with Doug Peterson. I know that he did get a good amount of production out of Carson Wentz, but I don't think Carson Wentz and Justin Fields are the same kind of quarterback. Uh, the, the the problem with a lot of these coaching candidates is I like some aspects from Doug Peterson. I like some aspects from these other guys. If I could Frankenstein them, I would, uh, but they, they, uh, every one of them. And the, the reason that, I mean, they all come with question marks, every one of them, unless, unless you're going to go out and you're going to get like Sean Payton comes to Chicago. That's the only one that you're not going to have question marks about for the most part. Like that, that uh, I unless you Jim Harbaugh probably has the least of the question marks with other things. So um, every one of these guys is going to be a risk at some point. Every one of these guys uh, is going to be uh, who is a first time head coach or retread is going to have a challenge. So uh, I'm not going to say that I they have to get one guy or the other because. As much like our friend Tyler Ellis always says, just just get lucky once, please. Just get lucky <laughs> once. <laughs> exactly. I think uh, we lost uh, Alyssa because her headphones died and stuff. So we'll uh, see if she can join us back. Um, please go ahead. She's not not used to these two and a half hour shows. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I got to ask you, Aldo, how will you remember? Because I I've done, I've answered this probably two or three times on different shows, but how will you remember this era? Because I remember it as I, I equated it to fool's gold. It was, we were given all of this hope in 2018 and I equated it to buying a really nice gold ring and then it starts fading and then you take it off and there's an ugly green ring around your finger and you realize you were sold a fake. And basically what that comes down to is we thought this window of opportunity was going to be open from 2018 to whenever we thought Matt Nagy was going to take the offense to the next level. We thought that, 
uh, Mitch Trubisky was going to be a franchise quarterback. We thought the defense was going to, you know, stay at that top level, even though they were aging. And this team overachieved in 2018, and then they were primed for Super Bowl runs in 2019, 2020, 2021. It just never happened. So, mm-hmm. how will you remember this? Yeah, it's it's you know when you're building a football team, you need a lot of luck. And uh, Ryan Pace started to get a lot of luck when. Uh, when he uh, brought in certain people that allowed the Chicago Bears defense to be one of the best defenses in Bears single season Bears history. That 2018 defense was winning football team for football games for the Chicago Bears, much like Buddy Ryan's 1985 uh, uh, Chicago Bears were. So that was that was fantastic. And then the luck ran out when uh, Vic Fangio got the job that he deserved. He deserved to, to, to become a head coach. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the changes with uh, bringing in Chuck Pagano and so forth, that destroyed the mojo that the defense had. And then age is starting to creep in with the defense. And so we had that one opportunity in 2018. And, John, I'm not ashamed to say it. When that double doink happened, I had tears in my eyes because I sensed it. I sensed it that this was it. This was the one opportunity. Having followed this team for decades and decades, I know that it. once you get that one opportunity to to that you've got a team that can really compete for a Super Bowl championship for a win, you can't screw it up because there's next year is not promised. And we all went into 2019 with high hopes and so forth. But in reality, you know, high sight being 2020, you know, we knew it wasn't going to be quite the same because the defense wasn't going to be the same and there were some players missing and so forth. So I'm going to look back at this era as that one shot. We had that one shot and thanks to Cody Parkey, we double doinked out of an opportunity to win a championship. And and that's and I saw this in the chat room, and I couldn't agree more. It's like sad that we have to think this way, and it's true because the the Bears throughout the throughout the couple decades, three decades, four decades, they uh, before last year only made consecutive playoffs in what twice from like, I think they did it in the early nineties and then they did it in the mid two thousands. This team just normally doesn't make consecutive playoff appearances. Now last year they did because they had to add a playoff spot for them. They got the number seven seed and got completely demolished. I'll say this again, they made the playoffs, but they weren't a playoff team. So uh, we are programmed to say there's always going to be this one flash in the pan year that happens every five to seven years. And you better hope that it's a year like 2006 when they go to the Super Bowl and you maybe you got a chance. And I think 2018 was our 2016, where it's just like they they got to they got to make hay now because we're not sure this is sustainable. The defense played out of its mind and carried the offense much like it did in 2006. <laughs> but uh, it was he's like this. This is a you're, when you're on that ride, you got to make it count because the next two years are not guaranteed and they weren't. And so that's why I always say that the Matt Nagy era and the Ryan Pace era was actually a little bit more frustrating uh, than maybe even the Tressman and Fox years because we knew the Tressman teams were going to be bad. We knew the John Fox teams were bad. We knew what they were. Uh, We had a lot of false hope 
for the 2019, 2020, and 2021 Bears because maybe not the 2021, but at least the 2019 and 2020 Bears because we saw what happened in 2018. And all of a sudden, our expectations were through the roof. Man, if they were, if they were this good in Matt Nagy's first year in 2018, imagine what they're going to do the second year with Trubisky having another uh, another year in the system. Nagy getting another year of experience. Pace getting to put another year of roster construction together. Oh my God! I mean, it was it was uh, it was it, we were excited. I was excited. I was pumped up, uh, but it just never came to fruition. It just never happened. And now you're hoping that you can reload and you can get a regime in there that can bring sustainability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it's and that's hard to think about with this team because I can't even imagine having a team that makes the playoffs three years in a row like an actual contender that goes in, you know, back to back to back playoff uh, appearances. Can can you can you imagine that Aldo? You've been a fan longer than I have. I I you know, I'm always I'm always going to be hopeful that it can happen and uh, it can. I mean, lightning can strike and and Bill Polian can maybe deliver two outstanding candidates uh for the GM and coaching job and and get this john and Alyssa's back with us all i'd love to get her opinion on this what would have happened back in 2018 when ryan pace was looking for a new head coach had he hired sean mcveigh i mean that would have changed everything he ryan pace would still have a job he'd be collaborating with sean mcveigh not matt nagy Sean McVay, that would have been such a good pairing. You know, Leonard Floyd would still be playing for the Chicago Bears, I bet, and 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 wreaking havoc. Um, so they're just you know, hindsight 2020, but I was like, a, a, I was that fun. look at that big gallon of water. <laughs> it's a long show, all right. <laughs> Clearly, my my mic, my my AirPods died. <laughs> Scrambling around. <laughs> I'm surprised he hasn't run to the washroom like two or three times because I see him nah, taking a swing. Play to win. Play to win. <laughs> but but what, what do you think about yeah. Sean McVay? you think that was maybe the, the, the worst thing that happened in uh, Pace and not hiring somebody like that? Well, it comes down to the fact that we've talked about this. Like, yeah, Ryan Pace is really good in rounds four through six in the NFL draft, but the problem is he whiffed on the two most important things that you have to get right, and that's the head coach and the quarterback. So if he does hire McVay, do they do they still go out and get Trubisky? Uh, or well, I guess I guess they got they brought him in with Fox, but right. it, it does is Mitch Trubisky still with the team? Does he turn into something with Sean McVay? I have my doubts. Maybe because McVay couldn't make it work with Jared Goff, so they had to go out and get Matt Stafford. Maybe Matt Stafford's playing for the Chicago Bears at this point. I I, I doubt it. But uh, uh, yeah, if you if you get the coach right, then who who knows what actually would have happened? Um, and I'm I'm someone that always does appreciate the coulda, shoulda, wouldas because I love hypotheticals. I love going down those roads. But yeah, uh, yeah but I think yeah, they, I think he's probably still employed if he if he hires Sean McVay. But uh, Alyssa, what do you think? Yeah, and you you mentioned the, how he didn't succeed with Jared Goff, but then I kind of think of, you know, they made it to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, and that's You're when right. they had a talented roster, and if there was any year where the Bears could have won a Super Bowl, it would have been 2018. So I'm curious, you know, if, if they had hired McMay, McVay, maybe he gets the most that he can out of Mitchell Trubisky, or maybe Trubisky's, you know, you know maybe he's solid for another couple of years. You know, maybe that kind of just – changes the whole path of the quarterback position here in Chicago. Not that he was great by any means, but, you know, Sean McVay can mask a lot of uh, weaknesses. So, I mean, that, that's a really interesting question. 
Oh man. Well, what could if have they been? go to the Super Bowl? If they go to the Super Bowl in 2018, do you think that Mitch's leash was a lot longer then? For sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So it maybe shrunk they, every year. <laughs> yeah, maybe he does. Maybe he they pick up that fifth year option or they do whatever they uh, maybe they franchise. I don't know. Uh, but you know that's that's neither here nor there. 2022 <laughs> is, is coming past. up. It, yeah. So I mean, we I know that as Bears fans, we love to bring up our misery and we like to work through that because we harbor so much of it. There's just so much of that in there. But uh, yeah, I think that moving forward, is there, and this is a, I'll ask this last question to go around the horn and and Alyssa, I'll start with you. Is there reason to be hopeful? I'm basically going to ask you the last question you asked me in our B55 segment, which once again felt like it was last year. Uh, (laughs) Is there a reason to be hopeful? And what are those reasons? It was funny. I was asked this question too on another podcast I do. And I had one simple answer and it was Justin Fields. I mean, like at this point, we're hoping that he is a star talent. And again, you got to get the right people in place. Because clearly, obviously Matt Nagy did not uh, do a good job at all. So the hope, and that's, I mean, there's hope with Justin Fields. I don't think there, I mean, I'm trying to look. And there's a lot of young talent also on this roster too when you when you look around. So it's about getting the right people in place to kind of get the most out of them. You know, defensive on defense, obviously Roquan and Jalen. And, you know, on offense, obviously you have Fields, you have Mooney, Montgomery, Khalil Herbert. Hopefully you could get something out of Cole Komet. Like, I mean, at this point though, because we really don't know what's going to happen other than they've already fired Pace and Aggie. So that's the one. Like, we don't know who they're going to bring in to replace them. Is it going to be better? Is it going to be worse? So, I mean, at this point, the only thing I'm really clinging to is Justin Fields and hoping that they do get the right people in place to really, you know, maximize his talents. And hopefully he can become the quarterback that I know you, John and Aldo, like we haven't had that quarterback. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, that's probably the only thing. I mean, I don't have a lot of hope. Like, I mean, like we've been, <laughs> we've been down this road a lot. So yeah. I'm going to stick with Fields best. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it clearly Fields is a, a great reason to have hope for this franchise. And I think another reason is that, you know, it's all, you're almost coming into the situation, the GM and the head coach, with almost a clear, clean slate. Yeah, you've got a couple of contracts that are going to linger for a while and, and are going to be a problem. You know, Ryan Pace didn't do the best job of managing the cap, and so there's going ha- to have to be some magic done there. But, you know, there's only like 30 players signed for next season. And so you're coming into a situation where you should have free reign to do what you want. You should have a a clear slate of rebuilding the roster. You should have two or three years to build a winning team. And so those things are appealing, should be very appealing to very qualified GMs and coaches. And when you look also at the history of this franchise, people are going to come to Chicago knowing that if you win here, you're going to be a celebrity. You're going you're going to make tons of money. You're going to your reputation is going to glow forever. Uh, you, they're they're going to make statues out of you and so forth. So because of that, despite the fact that we've got kind of, you know, a clown show or the, or the, the owners of a diner over at Alice Hall calling shots, but at least, you know, if they, if they bring in qualified people, I am 
fairly certain that their meddling is going to be at a point where it should not really impact football, football operations to, to a terrible degree. They might nix the acquisition of an expensive player because, you know, they've already spent and lost so much on certain players. They might interfere that way, but for the most part, I don't think they're going to interfere. So I have hope that, you know, with this clean slate that we can start again and, and hopefully get some wins. And to your point, Aldo, if you win in Chicago, look what it did did for Mike Ditka. I know that he played for the Bears, but also like you win a you win a Super Bowl in Chicago, people start dressing up as you for Halloween. They start putting on vests and they wear mustaches and sunglasses. They make SNL skits about you. You are <laughs> you are in folklore. Yeah. You are you are forever ingrained in sports history because you won a Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears. That's what it can do for you. So I hope these candidates, uh, both GM and head coach, understand that and they take that to heart. Because if you win here, you hit as much bigger than winning in most other cities because this fan base is starved. For a winner, I know the Bulls are bringing a lot of excitement to the fans. I know the Cubs and White Sox really, you know, uh, uh, there are a lot of big people that are passionate about baseball. But I think we would all agree that if you win a Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears, that trumps anything else that could happen in this city as far sports wise, because this fan base, this city, this team is starved for success. And they and, and the person that can bring that to them is going to be forever immortalized. And so I hope that people understand that whenever they're applying for this job or they get this job or what have you. So mm-hmm. with that with that being said, let's go around the horn with some final thoughts. Aldo, I'm going to start with you uh, and just some parting words for the show, the season, anything, anything else that's upcoming, future events. What do you got going on? Well, I, all I want to say is that I've been really, really fortunate to work with very talented and and uh, knowledgeable people, and you two are like right at the top. It's been such a joy being associated with you guys on Buffon Fifty Five. The passion, the knowledge, you know, the show that you, the shows that you guys produce week after week after week. I'm just in awe of it, and and so it's so lucky that. It's all a part of the barroom network, and um, I can't wait. I hope we can do this again next season, and if so, I can't wait uh, for that to start. I, I, we all need a little bit of a break, right? <laughs> but uh, once uh, everything is in motion, I can't wait for it to start. We'll, we'll have new ideas and new ways to do things because we're always looking to continuously improve. But, uh, man, this past season has been the best of the five Buffon 55 seasons, and it's just a tribute to the hard work that both of you have put into it week after week after week. And so I thank you very, very much for for all of that. Yeah, I mean, I want to thank you, too. I mean, I love doing this every week. It is just a highlight of my week because it feels like a therapy session, right? We come together and because this team, I mean, it can take a lot out of you, like whether you're watching as a fan or you're covering it. So, I I mean, at least I get paid to to, to watch this team. But, um, you know, like coming on here and having our therapy sessions and just kind of like hashing it out, it's always a highlight of my week. I mean, you two are some of the best uh, in the game. And it's just one of my favorite things to do. And thanks to all of our viewers and listeners, because you guys are just amazing. Thank you so much for your continued support. It's awesome. And I can't wait for next season. It's going to be great. Uh, and we have a busy off season. I mean, we're going to take a little break here, but 
And, and while you're doing that, because I'm just, I've just been working nonstop, make sure you go to Bears Wire. Uh, I got the running list of head coach and GM candidates. We're doing profiles on them and keeping you, we're going to be on top of everything as it happens. So make sure you check it out at bearswire.com and just thank you guys. It's been, it's been awesome. There you go. And, and before we sign off, I just want to talk to our viewers and our listeners real quick. Um, this show wraps up our fifth season here on Buffone 55. And it's incredible that some of you still haven't found anything better to do in five years. But <laughs> but but seriously, I know that we aren't on national TV or national radio, but it humbles the hell out of me every time I see people in the chat room or people commenting on the show or just knowing that someone is actually listening. So thank you so, so much. You get me through these rough bears seasons and I hope we have helped you as well. And I also want to thank everyone at the barroom, specifically Aldo Gandia and Alyssa Barbieri. You honestly could not ask for better people to work with. They're my friends. I care a lot about them and doing a show with people you care for is about as good as it gets. And Finally, uh, I have to thank my Uncle Doug, who I hope is listening to this show while relaxing on a big couch up in heaven. But if you know Doug, you know he's probably not relaxing right now with the Bears being in flux. Uh, but without him, I'm not doing this show. I'm not a Bears fan. I don't get to meet anyone at the bar room. I don't get to interact with any of you listening right now. I don't stay in the media industry like I did. Uh, I simply don't become the person I am right now. Uh, and I always say... I hope to carry a fraction of the passion that he had into this podcast. And that's why I try to give you my best every second of every show. He deserves that effort and you deserve that effort. So once again, thank you so much for being a part of this show. And we'll see you next time on Buffone 55.